This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Lobe Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Oh, a good goal! Far post for Shearer, goal! I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cradley! Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Billy Bowden. A native of Swindon, Billy started out with his hometown club and climbed through the age groups before making his debut under Danny Wilson in 2010. During his time at Swindon, Billy won youth titles and earned recognition internationally playing for Wales at under-17, under-19 and under-21 level. It was also Wilson who gave Billy his first pro deal, but that very same season, Town were relegated to League Two. Enter Paolo Di Canio, who was a big fan of Billy's, utilising him as a winger and even starting Billy in his first 11 on the opening day of the 2011-2012 season. Billy paid his part in Town's League 2 Championship campaign, but he found himself loaned out a couple of times to gain more experience. The first, a very successful spell at Torquay United under Martin Ling, and the second at Crew Alexandra, where he would have and enjoy a trip to Wembley. What happened next was a much publicised negotiation for a contract with Pamela De Canio stating that he wanted Billy to stay and two-year deal was talked about but ultimately it didn't materialise and Billy was sold to Torquay United where he would play plenty of first team football struggling to get goals but it was an injury that really put his career at playing more to an end. Billy then found himself injured and unemployed. Then there was an olive branch move to Northampton Town, which was a brief stay, 
He was released again, and then it was a trial at Bristol Rovers which changed his fortunes. His move to the memorial ground was a success, and he became a very popular figure amongst gasheads. His exploits at Bristol Rovers earned him a move to the Championship with his current club, Preston North End, and shortly following that was his first call-up to the Wales senior squad managed by Ryan Giggs. Now, injuries have since re-emerged, but at the time of recording, but he's well on his way to a return to first-team action. Oh, and yeah, he's the son of Paul Bowden. Since I started doing this podcast, it's really opened my eyes and it's helped me appreciate how articulate and enthusiastic and how intelligent footballers are about the game they play. But he was fantastic value and I'm really grateful that he agreed to participate. Anyway, it's time to get the show on the road. It's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. I am very well. Thank you very much for agreeing to take part. Yeah, no worries. That's, that's fine. You know what the first question is going to be. I'm going to ask and I'm going to hope for an answer that goes in my way. But who did you support as a kid? Obviously, Swindon Town. And then, um, to be fair, my main team was Man United. So I always had a team sort of in the Premiership who I always sort of supported. And then obviously, being from Swindon and my dad playing there for so many years I obviously always looked out and still look out now for Swindon so yeah they're, they're the two sort of main teams I'd, I'd say I support. And when I was growing up uh, the the notion of having two teams was a bit of a sin uh, you either supported your rubbish third division team or you supported your premiership team now now I'm older I'm far more relaxed on it because I just think nowadays the the access that people have to football teams there's just so much going on nowadays and, and you know, it's, it's far more exciting, I guess. I mean, I still only have the one team, but I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit more relaxed on this. So when you're young Billy Bowden in Swindon, liking Swindon, but loving Man United, who are your heroes? To be honest, it's a bit of a funny one. I've always, for some reason, I, I think I watched the old Ronaldo when I was about five years old. Um, I think he might have been at Inter Milan. Ever since, I've always sort of, he's always sort of been my idol, even though he never played for Man U or, or Swindon. But um, he was always someone I always, I don't know why, I think it might have been the name that just stuck out to me. But yeah, he was always one growing up. And then I'd have to say my dad as well. He's obviously been a, a big influence on, on my career. And I've watched, obviously, games in the past and when I was a bit older he was at Bath City as a player manager so yeah probably it would be, have to be the the old Ronaldo not the new one and yeah probably my dad well there's a reason why it was uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo is because he was absolutely phenomenal he yeah. wasn't I mean people do forget I don't know if they forget that's probably unfair but 98 to 2002 that guy was on another level sitting like growing up in a town where your dad is is a, is a legend it's obviously it's it's nice to hear obviously good things and i i used to always get people stop me and and talk about his his penalty and how how much of a good player he was so yeah it's, it's great to hear that sort of stuff and when i was a bit younger i used to always try and sort of watch videos or try and watch clips on youtube of him playing because obviously i didn't really get to see him in his peak but yeah it was it was always good to to hear obviously nice things from swindon fans and 
probably not so many nice things from Welsh fans, but um, but yeah, it was obviously it was it was good to good to uh, hear people say nice things about him. Did you ever have any schoolmates that used to tap you on the shoulder and just run off his career? Because that's what I would have done if I went to school with you. Granted, I'm a bit older, but <laughs> I would have just um, been like, "Do to you be fair, realize?" A couple. There was always a few people, mainly the lads who were probably a few years older would would always sort of mention him and um but yeah i don't think the the, the kids sort of my age or younger wouldn't have really known too much about him and i've got to say neville southall was just as much to blame than your dad for that romania game. yeah <laughs> well the welsh fans don't seem to see it that way but um <laughs> it's obviously it's nice to hear someone else get the blame for it i think <laughs> i mean also that you're Wales will play the team of Hadji, Popescu, Radicheo, Dumitrescu, Lepescu, Petrescu. There's still half hour left in that game, you know. Exactly, they did have a good team, to be fair to them. Your dad was a footballer and your mum played basketball, is that correct internationally? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's correct. She, um, she was always quite sporty, I think, as, as a youngster. And then um, she actually went, I don't know if she got a scholarship or she, she went out to um, America to, to play basketball, I think, for a, few, a couple of years. And then... I think she played in Australia as well. Yeah, it was obviously quite a sporty family and my sisters were were always quite sporty growing up. So for me, it was always either football, well, mainly football. But um, yeah, I just enjoyed all sports, to be mm. fair. But football was uh, the number one sport in my in my house, really. Was there ever any flirtations with anything other than sport? At school, I, I always tried doing everything, really. I enjoyed basketball, I think, probably because of my mum. And I still still watch it now, to be fair. Played a little bit of cricket as well. I didn't mind that for Purton, actually, I played for. So that was more just for as a hobby, really. But yeah, since I was probably four or five, I always... Well, younger than that, I think my mum said I used to just run around with a football from probably the age of two. So yeah, that was... It was never never any other sport that I really wanted to do other than other than football really you're a professional footballer so I imagine you can get tickets to the NBA when they're in London actually I did get off some <laughs> not long ago but obviously living in near Manchester it's um it's a bit too far to travel down and, and get back up here but yeah I do I do still still watch it on TV and I, any sport really I, I, I like obviously watching any sort of sport on TV and yeah I think I'll I don't think I'll ever change to be fair. Back to your parents then so how did your parents encourage and warn you about the potential perils and disappointments of football? To be honest they I never really got any they never really said any negative stuff about playing football it was all always just encouraging me to to go out and play and and do as well as I can and then it was probably only till I think I was about 13 or 14 and I went on trial at Chelsea and I thought I'd done fairly well and I scored a few goals. I think I was on on trial with a lad called Elliot Knight who was at Swindon with me at the time and and they actually, they told me I was too small and they they offered Elliot a a contract I think. So that was the only time I sort of got any negative feedback or negative news through football and that was a big thing because at the time I thought I I was scoring all the time for Swindon and so yeah, it was only till that point I was about thirteen or fourteen, and I got bad news. And my parents sort of said, you, "You're going to get that, that throughout your career." So to get it at that age, it was probably quite a good thing because you you never really want to have that feeling again. Yeah, they just always tried to encourage me and and just stay positive, really. And that's what I've always always tried to do. Yeah, my next question is, how do they keep you grounded? But the Bodins seem like the most relaxed family in Swindon. Yeah, now nah, to be fair, they're. Even my sisters, everyone's in my family are quite 
quite laid back and especially my dad he, he's, he's the most laid back person I know to be fair so, yeah I'd probably just take after them and don't try and let things affect me too much and yeah and just you just got to get on with it really if, if things get you down or negative things happen you've just got to pick yourself up and just get through it and I think that's something that I've I've done throughout my career and probably in life as well. So were you with anybody locally football team wise before Swindon or were you straight into Swindon or do you play for any of the local teams? I played for sure to start that was just I, I think I played probably a couple games and I think someone approached me or my, my dad get me in in the centre of excellence and at that time I think you could still play for like a, a local team which I went on to play for Green Meadow at the time and we had a pretty good team to be fair we had a couple of other lads who, who were sort of at Swindon as well um, so I think Will Evans ended up joining us um, so we had we had probably one of the, the best teams in Swindon at the time and then I don't know if it was up to about the age of 10 or 11, you had to then, you could only play for Swindon. So I think the rules have changed a little bit now. But so, yeah, I started off at Shaw for, it wasn't that long, to be honest, not even a year, I don't think. And then when once I went to Swindon, I think it was Mark Collier and Ian Palmer, I think, the, the coaches at the time. So I was probably about five or six when I first join Swindon and then obviously you could still I don't know what the rule was but you could still play for sort of your local team and and I did enjoy it it was obviously it was good fun playing with with lads you went to school with or other friends so um yeah it was always good but deep down you always wanted to to be playing against better teams and better players and playing for Swindon at the time you obviously you obviously got to play against the the other centre of excellences so yeah it was it was always my aim just to to obviously do well and play for Swindon really always a centre forward yeah I've always been sort of a centre forward I still class myself as a centre forward now to be fair and I've probably not played there for probably about three years <laughs> but yeah I was always a centre forward then and yeah I just never never really thought about playing anywhere else to be honest yeah that was going to be my next question it's going to be the question that those people that stop you in the street and say and they'll go in that that broad Swindonian or Wiltshire accent you not a you're not a left back then. It's funny you say that because I, I I went on trial or there was like a trial match when I was about 15 and for Wales sort of victory shield team, which was mm -hmm. under 16s, I think. And I went from playing up front to left back in the second half. So I don't know who decided to play me there or they just realised who my dad was and just thought, oh, he must be a left back. Yeah, that was the first time I played there. I was about 15 and I, I did OK. But yeah, it just didn't quite feel comfortable. <laughs> so... I've not really played there much, to be honest. I think that was probably the only time I might have played there. And then I've played a couple of other positions in the past. I think for Wales, Brian Flynn, under 19s maybe. Brian Flynn sort of played me holding midfield a couple of times. So, um, yeah, that was a bit different. But as long as I was out there, I didn't really mind where I played. Um, but, yeah, like you said, my, if anyone asks, I've always sort of seen myself as a, a centre-forward. I think it's... I think I've got no no sort of basis to back this up, but I imagine it's easier to establish yourself as an individual in the game if you don't play in the same position as your dad, who was a well-known footballer as well. Yeah, I think it probably is. To be fair, obviously he was a he was a, a very good left back. So if I if I did play there and wanted to play there, I think I'd always get judged against my dad, and it was obviously. I, I probably still do now to a certain extent. Yeah, I think the fact that I was sort of the opposite end of the pitch, it probably helped me a little bit. But the fact that he can't quite tell you exactly how to play that position, 
but at the same time he was he is a good coach and he used to give me a good advice and tell me sort of what I was doing wrong or what I was doing right so um even though he was a different position to me I think I think actually I think he did say in the his podcast that he he did start as a as a forward or a winger so he obviously gave me tips or gave me advice on how to do things better and I've always listened to that and but yeah like you said I think it's probably probably better that I've played a slightly different position rather than the same as him and otherwise you'd sort of get people saying ah oh, he's he's not as good as his dad or and different things I've, I've heard it all to be fair in <laughs> growing up so even if people had still said that I think I it wouldn't bother me too much because he was a very good player so, yeah it's something I've, I've grown up with people sort of comparing us to yeah it's obviously something good to be compared to because he had a he had a great career you were only about five when your dad left Swindon and he decided to slum it at Reading for a couple of years before <laughs> before joining Bath City um which you as you say there you do remember you up until about you what 10 11 when um yeah. when he when he left bath um but were you surrounded by swindon teammates when you were growing up yeah i went to school with fraser digby's son so we were we primary school i was we were best friends so um i'd always be either around his house or he'd, he'd be around mine so um yeah it was it wasn't he was probably one of the main ones but yeah i think my dad was obviously good friends with with a lot of the players and still speaks to a fair few but he was probably the main one who got re- really close to and um used to spend time around their house and so yeah even though he was good friends with a lot of them i think once sort of i grew up a bit or got a bit older i think a lot of the players who he was friends with sort of moved back to their um, wherever they were from, so um, yeah, he'd probably be the the only main one which was quite close to me. And a deep delivery, and it's back across goal, and it's off the line. Incredible! Swindon players were celebrating, the bench was celebrating, but the ball didn't cross the line. Is it Shaden Logan on the line? It certainly is. What an incredible clearance because he's actually stepped off the post and he's marking. And it goes again. This time it's in. So Swindon's essentially in your DNA, but yep. you don't work with your dad straight away. Um, you work with people like Mark Collier, who's now manager of Chippenham, I think. What were those early years before the under-18s like for you? Who were who were your teammates going through that and who were your coaches? I think to start with, I think it was it was obviously Mark Collier and Ian Palmer. I think they took the, the two, because there wasn't too many age groups at that time. And then throughout sort of the centre of excellence I had um, it was Ian Palmer the main sort of one I remember was it it, um, Fraser Jimmy Fraser yeah Jimmy Fraser was obviously he was sort of once the the centre of excellence sort of got up and running he was sort of the the head of it and Phil Cannon it was them two sort of they ran everything to be fair and they they were very good so yeah they sort of took sessions now and again um, and obviously Jimmy Fraser was good and, and Phil Cannon who I think he he was from Liverpool, and I think he went on to work for work for Everton for a few years. Yeah, they were obviously two of the coaches, and then we also had my. I can't think of a few. There, there's that many that um, I can't even remember. 
but yeah, it was oh, Ian Howell. He was another yeah. one who, who then moved on to Chelsea. Who he was a very good coach, to be fair. Yeah, but I, I just remember. I think it was about under 15s or 14s. I think my dad then. I think at the time he was working with New College, and then he dropped down to to us to my age group which was I think under 14s and then obviously up until under 16s and that's it sorry Dave Warren Dave Warren was was also another one who you sort of you had the same coach up until under 16s which then went on to Dave Warren who he was a coach there for years and he was a he was a good coach to be fair and once you sort of got to Dave Warren you played on Saturdays and you sort of felt like you were sort of that bit closer to to finding out whether you were gonna you were gonna get an apprenticeship or, or not as soon as you sort of got to under 16s they, that was the sort of last year of really realizing that you're actually this close now and you're a year away from from being not a footballer but being full-time and being an apprentice yeah there was, uh, there was so many coaches but yeah it was obviously a great experience for me to to be in that and for me I was fortunate to to get my scholarship and and then to get a pro as well Unfortunately, in life, there's one of these things called human nature, and it happens all the time. It doesn't matter how good you are, there's always going to be people looking in and, you know, rolling their eyes. And because of your name, Bowden, were there ever any sort of accusations or mumblings of, like, nepotism as you were going through the ranks? I don't think not so much at the the club, because obviously other people would have mm. seen me play. And But, like, at school, I think I remember a few lads used to always say, oh, you're only at... Swindon because your dad and and even when I got my scholarship I think it was Dave Byrne who, who told told me I was I was getting a my scholarship and even after I found that out there was I remember playing a school game once and someone said it to me oh you're only you're only at Swindon because your dad and other stuff but I was sort of used to it I probably got it from an early age but never sort of clocked on or realized what they what they sort of meant yeah it was something I've always sort of had to live with really and it's obviously your dad being a, an ex-player you've probably just got to get on with it and, and, and live with it but I'd like to think that nowadays people probably don't say that because I've actually <laughs> made a, a fairly good career so yeah it was obviously frustrating at times because I, I think I remember when I was sort of about 10 or 11 like other teams parents sort of saying it and that was probably the most frustrating thing because all I wanted to do was play football and, and enjoy it at that age and and then you hear sort of local teams whenever I played for my local team like parents sort of having little digs or saying stuff so it, it was frustrating but it was something that I just had to get on with and, and deal with really. I've seen so many examples of parents being absolutely crazy that junior football it's it, yeah. it really brings out the worst in some and I mean when I was playing junior football you know the the son of the dad wasn't very good but luckily he didn't play all the time he was yeah. on the bench <laughs> but there were players that you know they could score six goals in a game and people would still say oh he's only in the team because his dad's the manager yeah. you're just like he's just scored two hat tricks you know, I know what I mean? yeah. and to be fair that was sort of going through the ages I always scored quite a lot of goals to be fair so the fact that they were saying that I used to sort of think well if, well, have you not watched the game <laughs> I've just scored four goals but um, yeah it was obviously like I said I, I got used to it in the end and didn't really let it, let it affect me um, and just, just got on with it because I enjoyed playing football really 
So let's talk about the under 18s then. So you, you get in, you get your scholarship. Brilliant. Um, who, uh, who are the year above? The year above was Sean Morrison, Nathan Thompson. They're the sort of the two main ones who have, who have made it. But there was, they had a great team, to be fair. They had uh, Kurt Hammonds, mm-hmm. if you remember yeah, him. Warminster, yeah. Yeah, they had a couple of strikers actually called Jamie Taylor and Danny Wallington, who, to be honest, they probably should have should have got pros. I think they both scored twenty plus goals. There was a lot of players. Lloyd Macklin, yeah. there's another one. We had we had a great team, to be honest. Andy Westall, the centre half, if you if you remember him. Yeah, did he become a soldier? Yes, mm-hmm. that's him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he was, to be honest, he was probably one of the most technical centre halves I've ever played with. And I think if he if he didn't, he had a couple of shoulder injuries, and I think if he didn't get them, he he could have gone on to to have a good career, to be honest, because he was a very good player. Yeah, it's just certain players and certain people they just fall out of love of the game and they go their own they go their own way. Yeah, we had a great youth team. I think the both the two years I was in it, I think we won it. Yeah, it was it was obviously there the best years of your of your life. I remember listening to Bedders uh, Lee Bedwell saying the other day that. You look back and you, you don't realise how good they were until you're a bit older. Yeah, they are definitely the best years of your life. You sort of go in every day and you're playing football with your mates, basically. And, and then after training, you you hang around with them. And we had to go to college twice a week. So you'd constantly be with them. And they were literally your best mates. And you, all you were doing was playing football and going to college with them. So it was... It was um, yeah, the two years were unbelievable, to be fair, and I've probably made friends for, for life out of that. And yeah, the fact that we we won the league both years as well was, was even better. Nowadays, there's a huge drive towards what happens if that pro deal doesn't emerge. Was did that exist when you were playing? Nowadays, it's all scholarships to America, for example, and a lot of lot of guys go out there nowadays if they can't get their pro deals. Did you have and there was there was there a backup plan if you didn't go pro? I always just wanted to play. So even though it probably wasn't as big back then about going to America, and it was still a, a possibility, and I think that was probably something that I would have probably looked at doing, to be honest, because I just all I wanted to do was was sort of play football at that age. And I do remember a couple of times I think um, a few people come in with presentations talking about how you could go out there and and you can get degrees, and at the same time you can still still play football and and at the end of it you might be able to to get a club over there um if you do go through with it so even though it was a thing i don't think it was quite as big as what it is now um obviously you see a lot of lads british lads going over there nowadays and even making it into the mls i think the opportunity is a lot bigger now but at the same time the, the probably the standard of football's probably got better out there so it's it's probably tougher to even to get into the mls now but yeah it was it was definitely something that i would have sort of looked into but like you said i don't think it was as big back then so sort of the the only thing lads wanted to do was try and make it over here so whether it was sort of going on trial to other clubs which i know a few of few of my mates have done in the past after getting sort of told they weren't getting pros but yeah I think either going to sort of the exit trials which is a, is a big thing for lads if they get released or just going on trial at different clubs which is it's obviously not nice but you, you've got to do it so if you want to play football they're, they're the things you sort of got to go through and yeah I think if that if it did happen to me I would have just been trying anything just to just to be in football and stay in football as long as I can really. That's Cashy Anderson Five additional minutes. Mullen. 
It's Matt Taylor, and it's gone through the keeper. The old wise head delivers. Forest Green's party get crashed. Swindon Town, the neighbours from down the road, are ruining Forest Green's big, big night. How did you find working with your dad? Well, like I said, he sort of joined, I think it was under 14s, and I used to actually go into... In, in sort of half term used to go in and, and train with the new college team and they were sort of the under 18s at the time under 18s or 19s maybe so I sort of knew what his coaching was like before he even started taking me but yeah it was not just because he was my dad but I thought he was a great coach and he sort of knew exactly how I wanted to play and I think the way he wanted to play was was definitely something that a lot of lads who I've, I've, I've grown up with or have played with love the way he sort of looks at football and 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 especially as coaching so for me it was great for him to sort of take over at under 14s and then I think once I think Dave Byrne got made assistant obviously he took the the youth team job so for me obviously at, at, the, at the time it was a bit weird because I for years I've just thought I'm going to get this new coach at under 18 level and then and then try and obviously impress them but the fact that then my dad took over it was also it was quite tough the fact that I thought oh that people are probably going to start saying oh, he's only playing because of his dad and all that stuff again but I knew not to sort of let it affect me but because I knew he was a good coach and he'd probably get the best out of me and the team, that that was all I was really thinking about, to be honest. So, yeah, it was great working under him. And, and then, obviously, he did he got the caretaker job and, and we he played quite a fair few youngsters as well. And we, we had a good couple of games then as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great to work under, under him. I think what backs your dad's ability as a coach is the fact that he got three elite titles... Uh, in a row Sweden have never won that since you got two of them so fantastic achievement regardless Buddy Burn is one of the most popular episodes that I've had Um, what were your experiences of Dave Burn? yeah he was he was good to be fair he was obviously he came in and he brought usually like the youth team were were sort of um, lads local lads and lads who I sort of you sort of knew but um, yeah the year he came I think he brought in quite a few he brought in a couple from Plymouth and a couple of lads from London, so it was sort of a quite a big change. And um, and yeah, obviously he was the one who gave me my um, my my scholarship. So he was yeah, he was a good coach, and obviously he obviously brought in some great players at the time, and and then obviously moved on to to be the assistant. And uh, yeah, he was obviously a big part of the club at the time. He he was the the head of youth sort of or the the youth team manager when I was sort of growing up. So um, he was quite a quite um <laughs> strict and, and quite a loud uh coach at the time i remember him giving him uh giving a few of the players in my team a, a bit of a bollocking but um yeah obviously he like i said he he done well at the club and he, he brought in some good players as well there was a few moments in the podcast where i thought he was giving me a bollocking so <laughs> but he was absolutely brilliant when he came on in fairness yeah i've heard him um i've heard him sort of give a, f- a couple of the lads the hair hairdryer treatment and yeah it was something I always tried to to sort of stay away from to be honest <laughs> we have to mention your appearance on on television during your uh, during your time in the scholars um where you took on Matt Clark oh skill school the skill school soccer yeah. am yeah where you were victorious <laughs> so your first televised yes. victory some pretty pretty nifty uh <laughs> moves in that yeah to be honest it was um I sort of 
just got a bit of banter <laughs> out of it rather than the actual skills. I think Matty's skills were were probably better than mine, but I just made it a bit more funnier and, and a bit more light-hearted. But yeah, thankfully, I um, Soccer AM chose me as, as the winner because when you film it, you do um, two takes where Matty won one and I won one, and you wouldn't know until the actual day of them showing it on, on, on TV. So yeah, I just remember sort of, I think one of my mates texted me saying, oh, you, you ended up winning it in the end. So, yeah, it was obviously, it was a good laugh. Because I, 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 I think I was down to do it the year before and I think I was away with Wales under 17. So I was gutted that I missed it. So um, I had quite a while to, to sort of prepare for it and get my uh, gag sorted for it. But, um, yeah, thankfully I, uh, I won it in the end. Talking to Miles and talking to uh, Lee, they cited yourself and Matt as two of the guys they really looked up to or the team looked up to. Was there much pressure on being seen in that way or was it just sort of natural? It was quite natural, to be honest, because I, I just enjoyed it that much and, and I was doing well. I think I just I just tried to continue that and, and, yeah, and just do as well as I could. And obviously the fact that we had a great team as well, even sort of under-16s, we, we had a good side. And then the fact that, a few of us got pros and went up to the to the youth team along with sort of the second years, so the likes of Sean and Nathan. So it was yeah, it was massive. Obviously at the time we sort of had Will Evans as well, who was who was quite a big character and he was a great player as well. I think he was the captain of our youth team sort of when I was a, a second year. So yeah, it was something that just sort of came natural because I enjoyed it so much and I just loved playing football. I think I didn't really take notice of sort of the younger lads sort of looking up to me because I just I just went out there and, and in, tried to, to enjoy myself, really. Well, Evans became a head of a goalkeeper. I know, yeah, that was... <laughs> um, <laughs> that was uh, not one of the best things I've seen, I think. <laughs> but yeah, fair play. I spoke to him not long ago and he, he's doing well, to be fair, and... I'm surprised he's not had a move sort of back into the football league because he's had a good couple of years in in the conference. Yeah, maybe as a goalkeeper you might get a move, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure. But yeah, he's he's a good lad and he's one that I'm surprised that never sort of stayed at Swindon or got got more of a chance because mm. I think his debut might have been Southampton away, I think, and he came on and he was probably one of the best players on the pitch. So um, yeah, it was a shame that he never really got more of a chance um, at Swindon because I think he would have he would have been a, a very good player Rose Richie again it's nicely worked and it's chipped in and a goal Vansal Perricard from point blank range gives Swindon town breathing space wonderfully worked and Perricard applied the finish now I'm obsessed with caps uh, international caps you rack them up in youth and under 21 level you've really got a size do you get do you get cap for each game or do you do you just get the one for each level just i think it's for each year so i've got a few back home and i've got a few um framed up in my house so uh i think obviously i started under 17 i think i was about six i think it was my first year as an apprentice um i went away to sweden and that was my first sort of call up but I remember sort of, I think I got one for the, the Victory Shield under-16s team, but I didn't really, I think I played 40 minutes in one game and that was that was my only sort of involvement. I was on the bench all the other games. So that was sort of, after that, I sort of thought, oh, I'm not really going to get a chance. I've not really, not really played much for this Victory Shield team. And then 
sort of the season after that, I remember sort of getting called up for the under 17s and, and so I've got the cap for the, the under 16s, but because I never really played, I always thought, well, oh, maybe I'm not good enough or they're not really, they're not really uh, thinking I'm, I'm ready for that sort of step up. But then Brian Flynn sort of took over the under 17s, 19s and 21s at the time. He did all three ages and um, yeah, and as soon as I got put into that first one I, I sort of never looked back and I think I went on to pretty much every uh, every trip away then Oh Wales do some proper travelling during your time in the uh, in the age group especially in the under yeah. 21s where you go to all the uh, the hotbeds of uh, <laughs> football you did, yeah. your, your passport got some stamps can you, yeah. can you remember can you remember some of the countries you had to go yeah, to yeah I think one of the worst ones was probably um Armenia that was that was one of the worst trips it was I, I well I was expecting it to be quite a hot country and we got there and it was probably about three or four inches of snow and it was yeah it wasn't the, the greatest of countries I've been to to be fair and Bosnia was another one that that was quite um quite a weird trip there was sort of bullet bullet holes in all the buildings and um we just got escorted by the police everywhere so um and i never really knew what to expect to be honest and yeah it was a bit of an eye-opener um there's sort of a lot of homeless people and so even though i was going there for the football it was it was quite an eye-opener and um yeah it was something that i'll all them trips to be fair well it'll be something that i'll remember for probably the rest of my career you know you You've been media trained. We'll talk about that later. And it's always, you know, a tremendous honour to represent your country. But when you're like, you're travelling to San Marino and playing six minutes and you're, you're going yeah. to Moldova and getting about 20, um, 10 minutes in, in Montenegro, are you sat there thinking, you know, I really should be with Danny Wilson in the first team. But this this is brilliant, but I could be fighting for a place as a, as a professional footballer right now. Yeah, there was, I think there was... a a couple of times where I, I actually, I think it was Paul Hart. He actually, he, he didn't even let me go on the trip. Yeah, at the time, I think because you're, you're sort of going away, it's just sort of a, a new experience, and you never know if you're going to play international football. They sort of only tell you the team on the day, and yeah, it was, it was, it was always something that I wanted to do. Even though at the back of my mind, I sort of, I thought like I might get a chance for the first team, or, but for me, it was always. If, if I got the opportunity, I'd always go and play, to be honest, because whether I knew I was playing or not, like you said, I got six minutes at San Marino and I think it was there. We got beat 1-0 and it was their um, their first win in 19 years or something. So, um, yeah, after the game, I was probably thinking, oh, I wish I stayed at home. But you never know until, until obviously, the manager picks the team and... Uh, obviously that day or that trip was was one of the worst ones to be honest but yeah like I said I, it was it was something I always looked forward to and yeah I'd never never sort of regret going away even though it is obviously your, your club football is probably more important but like I said it's a, it's a great experience to go away and and you you learn a lot from sort of playing against different teams and different countries and for me it was something that I loved doing and um, yeah it was something that I'd tell any young lad to do, to be honest. Um, it was a great experience and, and obviously to play against some of the players I have done um, who have gone on to, to have unbelievable careers. I think I played against Thiago once for Spain mm. and, yeah, to play against sort of the, the best players in Europe, it was it was definitely a, a good experience. 
I mentioned media training and we all we all hear about media training or football fans we all assume you have media training what is it is it like a seminar or is it do you have like a week where you've got to listen to some guy called Clive or Sandra come in and <laughs> and do a powerpoint presentation um to be honest I don't think I ever uh, I've ever done any I think it was only sort of introduced a couple of years after I was in the youth team and I remember sort of lads saying that's what they had to do sort of film each other and sort of do little interviews but it was something that sort of never got introduced while I was a a young lad at Swindon anyway yeah like like you said there's there's a lot of it it goes on a lot now so um yeah it was something that I I'd sort of just had to to get used to and just obviously try and feel as comfortable as I could but yeah when I was sort of 17 18 it was something that never really got spoken about to be honest yeah, I think, I mean, I'm 35 and I'm, you know, I'm beginning to think my football career will never take off. But uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that really, I mean, I'm not the target audience. I understand that. But I always felt sorry for um, footballers in recent times when they've had to sort of get onto the team bus and send a tweet that says fans were class. We go again where, you yeah. know it's clear that the players couldn't give a damn they obviously they they don't want to lose but they don't really want to send that message either and and then what was starting to happen is instead of everyone going yeah unlucky billy next week's yeah. a good one you get a bunch of people going you don't mean that you don't mean that yeah. just you know it's 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 really tricky trying to engage now footballers your generation now you're in the spotlight more. When I was going to a game, I, I sometimes didn't know, because I'm not from Swindon, that we, we'd sign somebody on loan until it was in the programme. You know, yeah. it was, it was you know, or CFAX and yeah, things I like that. Obviously, I think, obviously, social media is massive now. And like you said, you get players tweeting after sort of every game. And it's something that I've never really done, to be honest. But like, like you said, you do get you do get sort of not seminars, but you have meetings at the start of the season from the PFA, where they sort of tell you certain things you you shouldn't be doing or you should be doing or tweeting or posting. So, I think probably twice a, twice a, twice a season you probably get um, someone from the PFA to sort of come in and give you a a meeting regarding all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's something that I've not really. Um, not really done to be honest I'm not too sure why but um like you said it's obviously hard for to interact with with players nowadays and um the fact that social media is so high um I think it's 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 twice as hard especially sort of the younger lads at, at sort of bigger clubs some of them sort of almost think they're they're superstars before they sort of made it and um can come across quite arrogant and but yeah it's, it's I just always if fans try and speak to me I, I always try and speak back to them and yeah it's something that I've I've never really gone and tweeted all the time about football and I just I just obviously try and concentrate it during the week and, and just train as well as I can and if the game doesn't go well you obviously you, you sort of you know if you've not played well or the team's not played well but um Yes, obviously, certain people like to to tweet and and let everyone know how the game's gone and um, yeah, certain things. But yeah, I've never sort of really been one of them. I I, I have visions of the PFA turning up with a cardboard cutout of Simon Ferry and saying, "This is Simon Ferry. Don't do anything that he does on social media." <laughs> no, they haven't yet. But um, 
it's probably been an idea of theirs. But no, he's obviously Simon. He was he was one of the probably one of the funniest players I've played with, to be fair. And yeah, he was he was a bit nuts, but that was part of him, and that was that was his character. And I think that's why so many people sort of loved him, and and especially the the, the fans that, at Swindon loved him, and and the players as well. So. Um, yeah, he was, and not only was he a good character, I thought he was a very good player yeah. as well. And it was a shame, to be fair, to see him leave because he he had a good couple of seasons sort of in a row. And then, yeah, it was a shame shame to see him leave. Now Richie he finds Ferry, beaten away by Colgan. Oh, it's loose! It's Ferry again, and that has surely sealed Twindon's place in round two. talk about you and the first team then or in the first team setup so you're in the periphery of the first team during your I think you're still a scholar when you start to emerge in March 2010 we have a bit of an injury crisis which means you get the best seats in the house for two of our biggest games of that season the 1-0 win at Southampton and the 1-1 draw against Norwich Gordon Greer in the last minute lovely stuff that was a ridiculously good season what were those early first team opportunities like for you, be it in the ground or in training? Yeah, it was now and again. Obviously, you get because we train sort of the pitch over from the first team, so you you'd sort of get a bit of a taste now and then when they needed sort of a few more bodies, and you just had to try and go over there and and just do as well as you could, really. But yeah, the, I remember them games very clearly because obviously they were my first sort of tw- well, they were the, my first two times that I, I was involved and um, yeah it was obviously good memories I think the the Southampton one was obviously massive um, I remember Charlie sort of did he go around the goalkeeper Certainly I think he did, went one yeah. on one yeah and then was it the Saturday after the Norwich yeah yeah and obviously that was it was last minute header from Gordon Greer so um, yeah for me it was obviously quite nerve wracking um, the fact that it was, it was the first time I was going to be on the bench yeah you sort of during the week, you're not too sure because I think at the time I think we just signed Frank Nubel on loan. So as a striker, I just thought, ah, oh, they 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 just play the or put the 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 loan player on the bench. And then I got told to sort of report to the game. Still thinking I was probably going to just sit in the stands and and watch the game. And then yeah, and then when you walk into the changing rooms, I think it was uh, just on a bit of paper on the on the door as you walk in, and it tells you the the squad for the day and yeah to see my name on there obviously I was I was buzzing but um at the same time a, a bit nervous as well to be honest yeah it was obviously good good memories and um it was it was a good experience to be involved at, at a young age as well I mean, that Southampton squad is, it's, you know, Jose Fonte would go on to uh, win yeah. the European Championships. You've got uh, Adam Lallana, Ricky Lambert, um, yeah. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is an unused substitute that day, you know, it's and it's 20,000 and, I mean, you make your debut a year later, which we'll talk about in a bit, in front of 2,000 at Dagenham and Redbridge yeah. and then you, you're, oh man, we were good. I mean, it, it must have been... It must have been great for you as a Swindonian to be sat on that bench looking at looking at the players on that pitch. I mean, that squad, you had Alan Sheehan, you had Gordon Greer, you had Stephen Darby, who was on loan from Liverpool yep. at the time, Scott Cuthbert, Ferry Ward, Douglas McGovern in the midfield. Yes, yep. please. And then you had Charlie up front. What, what was your experiences of working alongside uh, Charlie Austin and Billy Painter? Yeah, it was obviously they were they were two great strikers and... I think the first time sort of 
um, I got to play with Charlie. I think it was in a, a reserve game away at Swansea. And to be honest, it, it, I don't. I think he had trained for a couple of days, and obviously, it's quite tough to see what someone's like before before a, a, a game when you're working on shape and sort of match related stuff. So. Um, yeah, nobody really knew what to expect, to be honest. And then I think I played up front with him in a, in this reserve game. And I think he didn't really touch much of the ball. And then I think it was about the 85th minute, a cross come in and he and he volleyed it in. And um, he was just a, a just a typical finisher, to be honest. Sort of the, the longer he, he was playing and the more he was playing, he, he'd become a great player. And obviously he was always a, a good finisher and you could see that from... When he first broke into the first team, some of his finishing was was unbelievable, and yeah, it's all credit to him to be honest. To see to see where he is now is is unbelievable. But yeah, him and him and Billy were. I, I used to clean Billy's boots, so I always sort of spoke to Billy, and he, he he obviously had good banter, and used to try and get me to to sing in front of the lads because uh, I was cleaning his boots, and so yeah, I always had a good relationship to be honest with with the first team and. As a as a, a fellow striker, obviously I used to look up to them and and try and sort of do the same sort of stuff they were doing, um, whether it would be in the youth team or or a reserve game. And yeah, luckily for me, I was fortunate to to obviously play with them a couple of times in the reserves and and then obviously to train with them as well. To obviously Billy went on to to have a good career and I played against him actually a couple of years ago for when he was at Hartlepool and. He, he still had decent banter to be fair to him and he was he was always sort of one to make everyone laugh and but yeah like you said it was it was a great experience to sort of play and and train with people and players like that over your career what has been your initiation song my main one uh i'd have to say is stand by me by benny king a classic um, of the genre i think but but my first one for swindon was sean kingston beautiful <laughs> girls and I don't, I don't know why I chose that, um, but I do remember. I think it was Callum Kennedy said I sounded like a nervous Swedish person singing it. So I don't know if that was because I was, <laughs> I was shaking that much. But um, yeah, it was obviously I was absolutely bricking it to be honest. Um, and I think it was away in Austria, and there was, um, I think we were there for about a week, and each night there was a different singer. So yeah, I just remember trying to trying to practice in my room with Will Evans before before each night, and then uh, not knowing if I was going to be singing or not. And then um, as soon as as soon as you hear the, the sort of people start tapping the glasses, you start getting a bit hot and sweaty, and um, and realise you're going to have to get up and sing. So um, even to this day now, I still get hot and sweaty and nervous. So um, yeah, it's probably one of the sort of the worst things <laughs> you have to do in football to be honest I didn't join a, any society at university because I didn't want to do an initiation it's simple as that but but stand stand by me by Benny King is is a classic of the uh, of the initiation genre because essentially you're just talking aren't you so yeah you know, exactly yeah <laughs> I think there's one there's one high note in it but <laughs> to be honest by the time you get to it you're already embarrassed and everyone's laughing anyway so it doesn't really matter but yeah a lot of lads are obviously quite comfortable at doing stuff like that but um yeah for me uh, i think i was about 18 when i first done it and yeah that was it was i don't think i was sweated as much as that um by just standing there and singing that was one of the m- most nerve-wracking things i think i've done 
I suspect every one club footballer, the reason they stay at the same club their whole career is not the money, it's because they don't have to sing yeah, another song. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I know a lot of lads who are just happy to pay the fine and, and not do it, but it's part of football, I think, nowadays. Mm. Obviously, you see so many people. I think this week I've seen a couple of non-league players doing it, and it sort of brings you closer to the to your teammates, especially if you're a new player, and it, it sort of helps you settle in as, as quick as possible. I think when I went on loan to Crew, I think they made me do it on my first day in the changing room. And obviously, it, like I said, it never gets easier, whether you've known, known them however long or known them for a day. Yeah, I've done it a fair few times now, and it and it never gets easier. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, um, Danny Wilson. Then, so Danny Wilson is is the guy that introduces you into the first team. What were your experiences of Danny? Um, no, he was a good manager. I thought, obviously, we had a great team at the time as well, and just training with them, it was obviously a great experience for me. And then to to sort of to get offered my my professional contract was obviously it was. It was a massive deal, and it's it's something that you you always look look to do when you're a young lad coming through at a club. So, um, um, yeah, obviously, I've, he's a he's the person who gave me my first professional contract. So I can't thank him enough for that. And yeah, he was a, a very good manager. And I think the the year I was a second year, we got to the playoffs. Obviously, from going getting to the playoffs to then being relegated the next season was obviously it was tough and. And I think towards the end, I, I don't know if Danny had sort of lost a few of the players, but I think a lot of the players sort of not lost interest, but I think they they sort of didn't really give it their all towards the end. Um, <laughs> Simon of, Simon Ferry would just say, you're talking about David Prutton right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was a few, to be honest, I think there was a few come from Lee. I think Alan Sheehan, Dougie. Um, yeah, there was there was Lucas Sheehan. There was yeah, a, and, and Simon and talked about Cleeks, doesn't he? To be honest, Prutton was sort of one of the main ones. He sort of, I, I remember going to a, a a reserve game and he just he just led at the back of the bus going to Reading, and I don't think he said a word all the whole trip. And then when we got there, he, he sort of didn't even say a word during the game. And yeah, it was just an odd. It was an odd time to be at the club then especially as a young lad I didn't really know if it was sort of the normal thing we're, we're sort of near relegation and and you sort of hear the older lads talking or well moaning <laughs> a lot of them yeah and then so obviously for for the manager then to leave and at the time I think Paul Hart then took over and and the lads were still sort of it was sort of the, still the same to be honest like the older the older more experienced lads were sort of their attitudes hadn't changed where sort of sometimes a new manager comes in and lifts everyone I think we were, we everyone sort of stayed sort of at the same sort of level and everyone's heads were sort of down it seemed like um, and as a young lad you can't really you don't really want to get involved too much or say too much so you sort of just go about your own your own business and yeah it was sort of only until my sort of my dad come in as caretaker it, it sort of changed that season but obviously time had already ran out and we were we were already relegated i think it's amazing in any job any in any occupation anywhere all it takes is a couple of components to leave and not getting the right components or not replacing them adequately yeah. just changes a dynamic in any office in any job in any in any yeah. occupation in the world it's really really bizarre because 
I mean, I missed the whole of that playoff season because I was living in the northeast, and my my work commitments meant that I I didn't see any of it, and I didn't even get to Wembley, which was the biggest disappointment because I thought I was at one stage, and that was, I mean, maybe it did me a favour, but I, I mean, I don't know what I would have done if I would have been in the ground when that bubble uh, for Austin happened. I think I would have. Yeah. Just, I think the ground would have just swallowed me whole, and I would never return back to the northeast to be honest. But but I think I looked away because I just thought. He's he's scored that many this season. I I I, I think I just I either looked away or just looked at my friend next to me, and yeah, and then all of a sudden you realise it it hadn't gone in, and it was just a massive shock to be honest. Mm. And yeah, it was disappointing. But like I said, that we sort of still had the same squad for the start of the following season. So the fact that we lost a couple and then to end up getting relegated was it was crazy to be honest. Yeah, it was it was it was very tough to follow, but not necessarily yeah. because I'm sort of livid, just because it was so good the year before, and yeah. for it to just capitulate like it did. And I was a big fan of Danny Wilson. I was very happy when he signed because of his experience. I was very happy with everything that went on. And then he did the real. I think he did the right thing by bringing in players who knew the current squad as well. It just, but yeah. it just created that faction. Um, in that second season, the relegation season, you make your debut. Uh, it's a loss yeah. um, because it's a relegation season, so it was bound to be a loss at some point, yeah. and it was away at Dagenham. League One attendances are always incredible because they always have those big teams that fall down. So yeah. you played in front of 22,000 at Southampton, and you played against 2,000 at Dagenham Wedbridge. <laughs> Typical League One, that is. Yeah. Um, it must have been like, I always talk about pride and things like that because I cannot personally imagine what it must be like going from centre of excellence at five or six and then you're there you're you're at you're in the dance you're in the show and you finally get that appearance it must be a huge weight off your shoulders and also hugely hugely proud for you yeah it was obviously a a massive deal for me and obviously my family as well and I think that season I, I was I was doing well in the the reserves and I scored a fair few that that year and I was doing well in training and I think because we weren't doing so great, it was probably why I didn't maybe get a chance as, as soon as I thought I should have. But obviously, when you are sort of struggling in the table, you, you sort of got to look to get experience in and, and that's just how it works, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was a massive moment for me. And I remember sort of getting a, well, not an easy chance, but I remember Alan O'Brien sort of pulling one back and, I took a big swing at it and missed it, and that was that was one of the the one things I, I just wish I always just made contact on that and, and scored on my debut, and that would have been probably the perfect debut for me. Yeah, it was a shame that we obviously lost that game, but it it was a game that I'll always always remember. Charlie Austin leaves during that season, and we go through forwards like there's no business. Um, yeah. Perica, David Ball, Thomas DeSevi, Benyon, Obika's first spell, Mike Greller, who had a famous falling out with Paul Hart during that time, Kelvin Andrew. They all struggle to replace Austin and Painter. Do you wish that Danny Wilson and then Paul Hart would have given you more of a chance during that, incident, um, that time? Yeah, of course. I, I I wish I did get more of a chance, but like I said, I think when you're you're struggling in the league, you managers tend to sort of go for older lads or more experienced players, um, which is understandable. But at the time, I was doing well in the reserves and I was doing well in training, so 
at the time, I probably thought I, I deserved uh, more of the chance than what I did get. But even though I wish I got more of a chance for those two managers, I think it was probably not the right thing to, to play older lads, but that's what most managers would do. So it was disappointing, but it obviously dropping down a league into League 2, it gave me more of a chance to sort of play and, and get some more experience and game time. And you mentioned Paul Hart before. Do you think he... I mean, what were your experiences of Paul? Was he on a hide into nothing or did he not help himself? Uh, when he first came in, um, I think he obviously tried to, to change it up a little bit and training was a bit different. And um, But like I said, I think the, the, the players had already sort of... like you. A lot of the time you get managers come in and they change a lot and it sort of picks the players up and the attitudes sort of change and it just seemed as if the attitudes of, of sort of the older pros never really changed and, and then I don't think he sort of helped himself in certain games. I think the Sheffield Wednesday game when we got relegated, he he didn't even travel with the team, I don't think. And I remember like all the older lads sort of saying like, where's where's the manager? And it was only till we got to the stadium the next day he turned up and it was just an odd sort of situation and um yeah it was a, it was for me it was strange because I was a young lad who I just wanted to play and to hear sort of the older lads sort of talking about it quite a lot it was I was obviously knew it was a big deal which obviously I'd never sort of experienced anything like it so yeah it was it was odd but I think he obviously he, he didn't help him himself I think he fell out with a few players and when you are struggling at the bottom of the league I think you do you sort of you've got to get the players on your side and I don't think that was something that he did and yeah like I said the players sort of never really changed their attitude from the other manager Danny Wilson where we sort of we were struggling and then it was only sort of till I think my dad took over and as caretaker and he sort of changed the team round completely and, and dropped some some bigger named players and played a lot of the younger lads who, who wanted to play and wanted to wanted to do well where I think a few of the other lads had, had sort of given up and yeah it was a bit of a shame because like you said the, the team we had on paper was or the squad we had on paper was Tough. very good um, and it was probably it. it was probably one of the best in the league to mm. be honest at that time and and to get relegated, yeah, it was it was it was devastating. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking I might get more of a chance to play next season. And as a young lad, you, that's all you want to do is you you just want to play. And at that time, I wasn't really playing a lot um, in that season. So yeah, to, to sort of think I'm, I could be playing or one of the sort of players who could be playing a bit more next season, it was. It was also an opportunity for me to try and to, to try and take. Yeah, um, there, there are, I'm the sort of football fan that will look at the, the the scholars and I will look at players and go, "All oh, that I want him to play for the first team." And sometimes it's purely on the basis of their name. So I remember being desperate for uh, Lukas Jukovic to to play for yeah. Swindon because he's got an absolutely amazing name. I remember <laughs> Seb Martinez, the Cayman Islander, who was at Swindon for yeah. a bit, wanted him, and I wanted Billy Bowden because of that <laughs> surname. And so yeah. when your dad came in, even though you'd had a couple of games off the bench, I was like, "Right, let's let's see what this Billy." kid is all about and it was and it was really really good to see you play um especially in that second game against Tramia when you hit the bloody post I was I know. gutted for you when that because it was oh you did everything and then, uh. I know because I, I think was it the week before the I think we played Oldham yeah that's right yeah 
And I remember having a chance in that game, a similar chance, and I sort of dragged it wide. And yeah, it was obviously, it was disappointing to lose that game. But to to go into the the Tramia game, obviously we'd been relegated, and there was a lot of younger lads involved, and it just seemed like it was the lads enjoyed it a lot more, even though we had been relegated. I think I think it was a different sort of vibe around the squad, and I think not saying it was because of my dad, but I think he he sort of. The, the coaching he'd done was a bit different or the training sessions was a bit different and like I said he sort of left a few of the the older lads or the more experienced lads out and, and played a lot younger lads who, who wanted to play and wanted to do well and yeah to obviously I played well in that game that Tramia game and yeah just wish I wish I scored to be honest and yeah it was a bit of a shame but like I said we we, we got the win and and it was a it was a good game that day. So the summer arrives, everything's up in the air because we don't have a manager, and then this this guy called Paolo Di Canio comes in. Yeah. Absolutely mental levels of uh, celebrity from that. Yeah. A, a typical Swindon Town appointment going back from like Dave Mackay, Lou Lou Macari, Adiles, and of course Glenn Hoddle, Steve McMahon. We've got a long history of giving rookie great players. The opportunity to manage for the first time and, and Paolo comes in where were you and what were you thinking when when that, that appointment was made I think I was on holiday actually I think I was in Malia with a few of my mates and Matty Clark was was with me and obviously he, he had just got his first professional um, mm-hmm. contract so and he was a West Ham fan so I remember him saying like he couldn't wait and to be honest I think a lot of uh, the whole squad sort of was looking forward to it and was excited because he was such a good player. And obviously, I think everyone thought he was going to be sort of wanting to play nice, pretty football and it was going to be sort of good times. And then when we did come into pre-season and <laughs> realised how hard it was going to be and how strict he was, it was, um, yeah, it was it was the complete opposite to what I think everyone thought he was going to be like, to be honest. Many, many of the Di Canio era guests have come on and talked about that summer in Italy. You seem to do all right from it, though. Yeah, I think uh, to start with, I was, I was obviously still a young lad who was coming through, and I remember just in the running. The running was so hard, and it was it was sort of three times a day, every day in Italy. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I'm not the best of runners, and I was struggling <laughs> doing the running and. Uh, but yeah, when the games come around, I, I, I sort of played quite well and I scored a few goals and I didn't really know what to expect come start of the season. I didn't know whether I was sort of going to be playing or sort of on the bench or even sort of in the in the stands watching. So for the first game of the season to come and I was in the team, it was, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a shock. But by then you sort of, the lad sort of knew anything could sort of happen with him as the manager. So... 
even though it was it was a bit of a shock at the same time I, people sort of thought well he, he could do anything here so yeah it was obviously I had a good pre-season and it was probably the fittest I, I, had, I had been and um, I felt good and felt strong and yeah thankfully I, I got to start the season and and obviously, we started off with a with a good win as well. Yeah, you you, you play the first game. You go off for about seventy five minutes, um, but the game is won at that stage. It's two 0 up. Flint scores shortly afterwards. But you go with Wales for the midweek, and you miss that Bristol City game, and yeah. that was a, that was a hugely symbolic game really for fans because we've just been relegated to the League Two and beating Bristol City and Ashton Gate. You know, we're not the, we're not the main rivals, but it's always good. Do you do you regret not sticking around for that, or, or? To be honest, at the time, I think it was an important. I don't know if it was a friendly or it was a qualifier for yeah. Wales Twenty Ones, but yeah. no, like I said earlier, it was. I always wanted to go away. I just thought it was wasn't too much of a big deal, and then it was only. I think I started the first three league games, and then. I think it was Oxford was coming up. I think that was the fourth league game, maybe. Yeah, and, and, you're, and you're gone for Oxford, aren't you, really? Yeah, it's, and I remember turning up, think, well, the whole week, to be honest, thinking it was obviously a big game for me playing against local local rivals, and I couldn't wait to play, to be honest, because I played the last three league games. I thought, I'm either going to be playing or, or, or I'll be on the bench at least and probably come on. And then I sort of got into the stadium and... Read, seen the squad on the on a bit of paper, and my name wasn't on it. I was a bit shocked, to be honest. And I think we had just signed Leon Clark, maybe yeah. that that week. So yeah, it was disappointing to obviously to go from starting to straight in the stand. But like I said, with with Decanio as the manager, you you sort of you didn't know what to what to expect. So it was just sort of typical to Canyo really it almost seemed however well you played it didn't really matter he could he could put you in the stand one week and you could be starting the next week so yeah it was disappointing to sort of drop out of the team and and then obviously to end up going on loan which I never really wanted to do to be honest no it, it's an odd one because I, I don't know whether you're a victim of town's shaky start or because he really is just bringing players in at that stage, which, you know, ultimately he gave us one of the most satisfying seasons that we've had in recent years. So I'm always sort of, I'm a bit conflicted with the Canio, and I think anyone that listens to this will, will find that because I fully acknowledge the achievement, but I also see the flaws as well. I, I suppose he was just trying to find his squad and you're young and a loan, a loan move should have probably happened the year before, if anything. But yeah. it, it's Martin Ling that gives you your first proper run because you go to Torquay. Um, it's a good Torquay side. Now, you know, people will think Torquay now and now they're, they're, they're you know, in the sixth tier of the Football League. But this Torquay side reached the playoffs that year and they were very, very good. They beat Swindon at Playmore. Um, you play alongside players like Lee Mansell and Eunan O'Kane who went on to um, good things. And you're, you're there during the start of that magnificent run they went through how did you find that experience of working with Ling an ex-teammate of your of your dad and a Swindon favorite as well and and how did you find Torquay um yeah it was it was good it was to be honest it come out like I said I was sort of playing and then all of a sudden sat in the stand and uh I remember going in to to speak to to Canio um just to sort of say what's 
what do you want me to do? Like, I've been in the stand, I've been playing. What sort of, what do you want from me, really? And uh, and he sort of, he was sat there with his towel on him. I think he'd just come out the shower. And he and he sort of said, what, you, you don't want to play for me anymore? And I said, well, no, I just, I, I'm not playing. What, like, do you, do you still want me here or... And he sort of just said, "You can you can go on loan," and sort of walked out of <laughs> out of the changing room. So um, from then on, I just sort of thought, "Well, he obviously doesn't really want me here, so I'll have to just go out on loan and, and get some minutes." And within a couple of days, I think I'd sorted out the talky situation. And um, yeah, it was obviously it, at the time, like you said, it was a good team. They got to the playoff, even though it was a different, it was a change of managers at Torquay. It was it was someone who I sort of knew and um, knew how he wanted to play. And like you said, the team was was fairly decent, and they was obviously bringing in more players and to play with sort of Yoon and O'Kane, who, who went on to have a a good couple of moves as well. He was he was obviously a great player and. To, to know, not to know I was playing every week, but because I started well and every week was sort of coming and I saw they had a smaller squad, so it was more chance of, of getting game time and, and then to the fact that I did I did fairly well, it was, it was yeah, in the end it turned out to be a, a great loan move in the end. Yeah, and you come back to Swindon and again, you're straight, pretty much straight back into the, to the setup, but now Swindon are really... You know, we're really cooking at this stage. So you're coming back to a team that is winning and you get your first goal for Swindon, which is which is probably I mean, I remember you 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 actually talked to the press quite a bit during your um during that season and I remember you saying that you scored for Torquay, but it was a shame that it wasn't for Swindon, which might be, you know, something for the fans. I bought into it. I love that line. Um, but you came back and you got your first goal against South End. Yeah, it was like you said. I, I obviously wanted to score my first goal for for Swindon. It was obviously something that I'd always sort of dreamt of, and uh, I used to run around in my garden, sort of pretending I was scoring in the town end. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it was obviously a shame that I got my first one for talk. Well, not a shame, but it, I would have liked it to have been for Swindon. But yeah, to get my first professional goal, it was obviously a big achievement. And then, yeah, it was it was a bit of a weird one coming back after my loan spell, and I sort of thought I'm just going to be on the bench again or sit in the stand and see my name sort of written on the board starting. Yeah, it was a bit of an odd an odd one, and I'd been playing on the right of a sort of a front three. And then to come back and to Canyon just sort of put me straight back up top with, I think it was Paul Benson that day. So it was, yeah, it was an odd, it was an odd time because I didn't really know what he really wanted. I didn't know if he wanted to keep me or send me out on loan again. But yeah, I think it was a couple games after I got the the goal at Southend, and I think I came on at half time or just after half time and. Yeah, it was it was obviously a great moment for me, and um, yeah, it was it's something I'll I'll always remember. And obviously, it was a great season that year. Obviously, getting promoted, and so yeah, it was it was something I'll, I'll always remember scoring that goal. And but yeah, like I said, I just wish wish obviously I got a few more, and maybe maybe a few more chances as well under under the Canio. Yeah, you get a couple more. One in your next game, which is your best goal for Swindon, the Crawley goal, um, yeah. and. To be honest, again, I, I talk as a fan. When that one went in, I think we were all. It was, I guess, nowadays we call it the Miles Story moment—the moment where you think 
we've got somebody here who could really, really kick on. Yeah, that was it's probably one of the best goals I've scored, to be yeah. fair. And yeah, at that time, I, I felt I was probably playing some of my best football and I just I felt so much sort of more confident and um, and I just felt a bit fitter and stronger where I'd probably been, been playing a bit more and I had that experience at Torquay and I thought, this, this is it now, I'm going to sort of, I'll be at Swindon and, and try and play as much as I can and, and do as well as I can. And then, um, yeah, the same sort of happened again. I think we had crew away um, a couple games later and I was sat in the stand again yeah. and I just thought, well, I, I've, I thought I'd been doing well and the manager said I'd done well and um, I think he even put in the paper something about we wouldn't sell him for, for less than 250 grand or something yeah. and then... And then all of a sudden to be in the stand again, I was sort of it was a bit confusing. I didn't really know yeah. what what he what he was thinking, and he didn't really speak to me much. Uh-huh. Or I don't think he spoke to many players, sort of. And I'm playing well, but I'm I'm back in the stand again, and it was a bit. It wasn't nice to be in that situation, but yeah, like I said, under Decanio, you you didn't really know what what to expect, and that was another sort of scenario which you you couldn't be surprised because of the stuff he used to do. Well, he obviously trusts you because he plays you in that Crawley game and that Crawley game was a big, big clash at the time. Um, they were really, Steve Evans's Crawley were really going for promotion and we absolutely dismantled them. And he also starts you in the game against Shrewsbury as well. And Shrewsbury really weren't hugely fanatical about Swindon. Graham Turner really did not like um, the, the the Canio era, and we we I mean you play the first half in that, and you're and you're subbed, um, but we win the game two one, and then you go up to March. We only lose one game of the of the matches that you play, and of course it's against bloody Oxford. Um, yeah. But you get a goal in your penultimate game against Dagenham, which is great for me because I'm seeing your early games uh, away at Dagenham and we keep losing. So it was really nice um, yeah. to see that you, you finally, we got one over on Dagenham, even though no one else yeah. will care about that. <laughs> I'm the sort of person that cares about that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then Billy Bowden joins Crew on loan. And I was like, oh, okay. Because they are competing for promotion as well. And, yeah, and they, I know. Yeah, oh. it, was, it was just an odd an odd time really because I just wanted to sort of stay at Swindon and at the time I felt like I was doing well and I think he brought in Ronan Murray at the time I think I think it was that um, Jonathan Tahui or Tahui, that was it yeah. yeah and actually I think I played in the Cheltenham game I don't know if it was after the Crawley game and I remember going to take a quick throw in and and it, Jonathan Tahui said you're, you're coming off and it was after about 25 minutes and I remember him saying the manager wants to bring you off, um, liven up. And I was thinking, I, I've hardly touched the ball yet. <laughs> um, and then I actually had a chance just after that and uh, it got saved. And then, yeah, half time come, I got brought off and I just thought, I, I just didn't know really what was what was going on. One minute I'm sort of scoring and playing well and then and then all of a sudden I'm getting brought off at half time. I think it was two games in a row, the, the, the Shrewsbury one and the the Cheltenham one so it was it was an odd time really and um and then I remember I think we had just got to the uh, Johnson's Paint Trophy final and I think I went in to go get tickets for that game because I was cup tied I, I went in to get tickets and the secretary at the time just pulled me aside and said oh you're 
you're going on loan to Dagenham. And I was like, <laughs> you what? I, I, I didn't really know what was going on. The manager hadn't spoke to me and no nobody at the club had spoke to me. And then um, to hear that, and I was sort of said, well, I don't, I don't really want to. So then they sort of said, well, you're going to have to sort of sort a loan move out. The manager wants you to, to go on loan. So I sort of rung my dad and my agent at the time to sort of say, <laughs> he wants me to go to Dagenham. And yeah, it was just a strange situation. And then um, obviously at the time, I didn't really want to go to Dagenham. And I played against Crew for Torquay that year, and um, I think I scored and, and done quite well. And, and they said they'd take me on loan to the end of the season. So even though I didn't really want to go there, to be honest, it was it that also turned out to to be a good experience, mm. and and then to get promoted with them. And yeah, it was in the end, it turned out a, a good experience, but one that I didn't really want, to be honest. No, I mean, from again, I mean, I don't tend to slate. Um... Swindon players because one I might have them on here one day <laughs> and, and and two it's not really in my nature but just the notion of the signing of Jonathan Tahui from Leighton Orient just seemed very very pointless at the time I, mean, I yeah he his job was just to come on for the last couple of minutes and just hold it up and flick off head flick on headers and it didn't last yeah. he was there for only a few games but over to um to crew you go you're playing alongside players like Ashley Westwood who's now at Burnley Nick Powell who went to Manchester United and now at Wigan a couple more players that didn't really kick on but it was a very good side you start eight games and then you dropped to the bench for the playoffs yeah it was um it was an odd one because I think I played the last eight league games of the season and I think we I think we almost won every one I don't think we lost one because hmm. when I joined I think we were we were sort of mid-table um, and I was I remember sort of planning to book book my holiday and then we sort of went on a little run and then all of a sudden we, we were getting closer to the playoffs and then yeah before you know it we got into the playoffs and I think we had Southend away in the first, or in the in the first game at home, and the manager sort of pulled me aside and said, oh, I'm, I'm just going for a slightly different formation, so you, you're not going to be starting." So I thought that was sort of fair enough, and he sort of done the same in the second leg as well. And then when it comes to sort of the final, I remember him saying, oh, I'd like, um, don't worry, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be playing you in the final, but I only, I just changed it for the Southend game because it suited." suited us a bit more so I thought that's fair enough he's, he's told me that and then yeah it got to the final and and I was on the bench and didn't come on and it was just it was almost similar to sort of the De Canio situation I sort of done well for eight games and then all of a sudden I'm just back sitting on the bench so it was it was frustrating at the time because I'd, I'd been playing well in the last sort of eight games and um, even though I didn't score, I, I was probably playing some of my best football. And like you said, we had a great team and some great players as well. So um, it was good to obviously get there. And they obviously they got a, um, a, a well, they're, they're a well-known club for bringing mm. through the youth, and they had a great a great team at the time. Um, so yeah, it was a good experience. But yeah, it was just a shame that the manager sort of went against his word. And and at the time, I think I got called up to Wales first team for the first time and at the time I was probably I think I just turned 20 I think mm. so I I had to make a decision either to go away and play for Wales or or go and well play play at Wembley which I got told I was going to so um 
and I think we were I think Wales were playing Mexico in New York as well. Ah. So it wasn't it wasn't a horrible journey to <laughs> to Armenia or Moldova. Um, so yeah, it was a big decision, and I sort of spoke to the crew manager and Steve Davis, and he said, oh, "I'd I'd want you to stay. You're going to play in the final." And I'd sort of been a big part of the team getting to the playoffs. So I think at the time it was Chris Coleman and he, he sort of said, you might never get a chance to play at Wembley. So stay at crew and, and obviously try and help them get promoted. So then all of a sudden get to the final and, and be on the bench and not come on. It was, I was gutted, to be honest. A lot of my friends came to watch and, and my family and to be told you were going to be playing and then to get to get to the stadium and, and not be in the starting lineup, I was I was gutted. But yeah, it's obviously another experience that you sort of grow from and um yeah, it was it was disappointing. I could have probably made my debut against Mexico in New York and then to to end up not even getting on the pitch at Wembley, it was yeah, it was, I was devastated. But it's it's part of football and you just gotta sort of get on with it sometimes and yeah, like I said, it happens in football. It's decisions you make, and sometimes they're the right ones, sometimes they're the wrong ones. But you sort of you don't realise until sort of it's, it's, it's over with that maybe I should have gone. But at the same time, it was it was a chance to play at Wembley. So yeah, it was it was difficult. But yeah, it was just um, yeah, it was just disappointing to be honest. Can Rose deliver on this occasion? Gobelando's medal was yours and because you were away you missed out on that because Lander bless him you know he was properly exiled when we're by the end of the season and he came out he was one of the the guys that got a medal and he I mean he played 18 times don't get me wrong but I think he played one game in April but all his other games were from memory he didn't he didn't play after January, you know. Um, yeah, and... I know. Yeah, it was a bit disappointing to be honest, because, like you said, obviously I was a, a local lad who who just I just wanted to play for Swindon, and then to sort of get not chucked out, but to sort of get just forgotten about. Really, it was it was disappointing. But to be honest, I've seen it happen to a lot of players that season. Mm. I, I remember um, La, uh, Matteo Lazzano. Yeah. Kamatsi, the centre half. Yeah. Um, who else? Ibrahim Atiku. He was another one. Nice. Who, yeah, but what happened to him? Well, I just before I think I left to go to Torquay first on loan. I remember I used to get into training about half nine, and they they had already finished their session, and they were just jogging around the pitch constantly, but and that's all their session was, and. I even remember, I think Nathan Thompson got put into that for a short time. I think he might have asked to go on loan and De Canio didn't like it and he ended up going away with, with sort of the with the, the lads who weren't involved and mm. they were just sort of, they were just doing r- constant running round the pitches at, at Wombra. It was a, yeah, it was a weird situation because obviously all anyone wants to do is play but obviously he signed that many players that in the end there was, there was too many and in the end, they were just casted out to just go and do their own stuff, which was mm. which was on. Yeah, there was obviously a lot of players that season, and probably a lot that 
shouldn't have even signed in the first place. No, I think Ataku is one of those. One of those. He got a contract. He was one of the first in, and he was yeah. also one of the first out as well. You know, yeah. he didn't even. I don't even think he made the made it to August. You know, he, no, he was, I know, yeah. Was, and it was. It, it was. He was. A, to be honest, he was the nicest guy I've ever met. Yeah, it was obviously a shame, but it was just an odd. I think him and Oliver Rissa might have signed on yeah. sort of the same sort of time. Yeah. I remember them coming in on trial at first and yeah they were obviously the, the, the sort of the first two signings that Tacanio made and um, yeah and there was obviously a hell of a lot after that as well. <laughs> yeah um, I think Karouche is the one that really you know he scored six goals and he didn't yeah. get a medal um, I mean you and you and Mehdi Karouche are probably the two that contributed the most um, yeah. Without without reward, which is a, which is a great shame. Um, yeah, but it was it. I mean, we just the fans. We just get lost in the success of it all, don't we? We just yeah. I, well, that's the thing. Obviously, when when the team are doing that well, you sort of you don't really stop to think about sort of everyone who has been there. Or but that's obviously understandable because mm. the team would would sort of doing so well, but. Like you said, there was players who who got medals and were there all season. I, I think I remember Lucas Majira being there, and I was playing ahead of him at one stage, and mm. I think he was on about eight grand a week, I think, and I, I was on about hundred and fifty quid a week, <laughs> and and it was just yeah, it was just mad how there was so many players that came in, and and yeah, it was just it was just a mad time to mm. be to be at the club at that at that stage and yeah obviously that was when the club's doing well sort of fans seem to forget but mm. that's all you sort of want to be happening you want the club to do well and at the time I was still a Swindon player and I wanted the team to get promoted so I, I, I potentially could have been playing League One the following season in this season one season one division three clubs two of which are promoted one of them finishes in the playoffs you play 36 times score I think about eight goals I mean, it's a disjointed season. It's a weird season for you, but not to look back with with satisfaction. No, yeah, it was obviously, like you said, it was a weird season for me. But at the same time, it was all obviously good, good experience for me. Even sort of getting shipped out whether I wanted to or not, it was all sort of life lessons and it was just it was just great experience and yeah it was, it was odd it's obviously not the way you want a season to go um personally but to be involved in sort of three well two teams that got promoted and another team in in the playoffs it was um it was obviously a good thing and yeah I look back at it and and I have great memories of of being at all all three clubs really but yeah it, like you said it was just a mad a mad season to be honest I didn't know whether I was coming or going and then <laughs> and then to get told you're going to certain clubs and and not actually going to that club and then to yeah it was just it was just an odd odd experience but it's obviously it's helped me um in my career and yeah, I've got good memories of, of of being at all three clubs. Really. Before we talk about the exit, let's 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 do some positive bits and pieces. So, throughout your town career, who were the best players you played alongside? The best players, I think, watching when I was a bit younger, I think Anthony McNamee mm. um, was one that I always sort of watched and enjoyed watching because at the time I think I'd played on the left a couple of times in the youth team and yeah he was he was obviously a bit of a flair player and and then to even train with him in the end it was obviously it was it was good experience he was obviously at the time he was a great a great player mm. for us before he before he left um, for Norwich and but yeah I think 
there's 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 so many. I think JP McGovern, obviously, technically he was he was one of the best I've played with at Swindon. Left foot, right foot. Yeah, Simon Ferry. I I, I always enjoyed playing with with Sai. He obviously he was a great player and technically he was he was very good and he always sort of found you in 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 tight positions and he was just a, a good all-round footballer there, there's there's so many to be honest um over the years either that i trained with or played with it's hard to just just to pick one to be honest sure. um jonathan douglas as well he yeah. was he was another one who was who was very good towards the end it, it sort of didn't work out i think that promotion uh, that playoff season in 2010 that was obviously he had a great season and yeah there was there was there's a lot of obviously good memories and and, and great players that i played with and we all know simon ferry was a bit of a personality but who else were were strong personalities in in your in your time at Swindon? I think Billy Painter was mm-hmm. was obviously up there, and even though he was only a year older than me, I think Sean Morrison he was a larger than life character, and he was always making the lads laugh, doing impressions, and Callum Kennedy as well. Even though they were young lads, I think they I think they were. Sean was a year older than me and Callum was sort of two years older than me um, in the youth team and the first team lads loved them and they always sort of um, they were always making the lads laugh they were sort of lads that you'd always remember sort of um, obviously I grew up either playing with them or sort of watching them um, as a young lad playing in the youth team so yeah there was there was a lot but I'd probably after Simon and uh, and Billy Painter they they were probably the main two that I remember to be honest they were always making lads laugh just taking the mick out of people really which is which is happens a lot at football <laughs> <laughs> there's one there's one thing that I'll always remember about Sean Morrison and there was one of those start of the season sort of buy with the program a glossy thing from an Austria tour it was Sturrock yeah. era that's it one of the players said that Sean Morrison's nickname it was something like Centurion or, or Roman <laughs> because he had the he looked like a, a Roman busk. <laughs> yeah, I still I, I see that photo flying about now and again as well. And um, yeah, he had sort of jet black curly hair and he did look like um, someone sort of he sort of looked like Julius Caesar I think. And like lads used to sort of give him a bit of stick for that. But um, yeah, thankfully I think he's changed his barnet since then. So I'm not sure if he gets that sort of stick anymore. <laughs> I, I, I was I was just remember reading that, and I very rarely I sometimes buy these things like programs, and I never read them. I just sort of have them folded up in my hand, and I remember flicking through the the, uh, the page of that and seeing that, and just thinking, he that is exactly what he looks like. Very very yeah. funny. If they won, send me off every game. No problem. I will win this league anyway because my team is a strong team. They're warriors. We play football. Even if they send me off, we win this league. No problem. So let's let's talk about the the negative. Let's talk about the exit now. Well, let's. It wasn't the cleanest. <laughs> we'll put it that way. From an outsider looking in, um, during this time or during the, the the build up to your exit, there's a lot of noise in the media, um, both from De Canio side of things and from your side of things as well. And there's a lot of talk of a two year contract. There's a lot of talk of Billy's going to sign it. There's a lot of talk that. Billy Bowden wants more games and he'll go where there's more games. Um, your dad says a few things. That starts a whole unfortunate series of events. And I will say now, that was a time where a lot of Swindon fans started to, despite the great football, despite the great memories, were feeling a little icky about yeah. about some of his decision-making. 
was there ever a two-year deal on the table? So it start, I think I was in my hotel in, in Crewe, actually, and I remember sort of, I don't know if it was my mum or my dad sort of said, De Canio's put in the paper that obviously went from saying, we're not going to sell him for less than 250 grand and sort of tell him, saying how, how good I'd been doing. And then obviously to then get sent out on loan. Mm. Uh, and then I remember while I was out on loan, he come out and said something about uh, me wanting games and uh, I'm, I'm still a still a little boy or something and I wasn't going to be able to play if I if I did stay. And then it was only probably about a week after that, I then got offered a contract and it was just an odd from him saying even if I stay I'm not really going to get game time to then get offered a new contract it was just an odd sort of situation and I, I'm not too sure if it was even him who who sort of offered me the contract I think I think it might have been um, the board or the the chairman or I'm, I'm not too sure but it just didn't seem like it was De Canio who really wanted me to stay and then um, I think at the time Nick um, Watkins. Nick Watkins at the mm-hmm. time I think he said De Canio doesn't really see you in his plans but obviously there's a contract for you so at the time it was just it was just a bit odd and then the end of the season come and then I I, I still I thought I'll, I'll probably just sign the contract and um, and that'll be it and I'll just try and play and mm-hmm. then I remember sort of De Canio, I think, come out again and said something in the press. And I think he sort of fell out with my dad sort of earlier on in the season. And then when my dad did say something in the press, I think it, it sort of sparked De Canio to then come out and, and sort of say that I'm not going to be, I'm not going to get as much game time or I'm not going to get as much game time. And he was sort of calling me at, it was something he'd always said. He, he called he called a lot of people, all, well, all the younger lads, he, uh, little babies and stuff mm. like that. And the, the fitness coach would come up to you and sort of smack you on the back of the head and say, come on, baby. Mm. So um, I weren't quite sure what that was all about. But um, so, yeah, when the end of the season come, it was just it just it just felt like I was never going to please him, sort of, even if I did score a couple goals a game. And um and then I just decided that I was going to just move on and, and, and try and get game time, really, because mm. um, I think if he, if he hadn't come out and said that stuff, I probably would have would have stayed and signed. But the fact that he was saying sort of he's not going to play, that sort of made my mind up. And I didn't really want to sign and then get shipped out on loan, to be honest, which is what I'd done the season before. And even though I, I had good experience and good memories, I just... I just wanted to sort of not settle down, but I just wanted to have a full season of playing week in, week out, really, well, or, or try to. So even though I didn't want to leave, I think at the time, after hearing what the manager had said, it was probably the best mm. um, decision for me to, to sort of leave. And even though, like I said, it was something that I never really, I didn't even think about leaving. And then to all of a sudden to hear the manager say that it was I was I was gutted to be honest because it was it was something I'd never even thought about and then yeah I just made this, this decision just to to get a new club really um, and at the time I think I, I almost signed for um, I knew Swansea were interested I think they had just started sort of the under twenty three football and they could, I nearly signed for them to be honest and then 
the managers sort of changed at Swansea and and then Martin Ling rung me and said, "Would you would you sort of there's a contract here if you if you want to sign and um, yeah and thankfully I, I sort of signed mm. for them and and yeah that was that was it really and I was and I'd left the club. Your dad talked about his relationship with Decanio in his podcast, so we won't go into huge depth with that. From a sort of personal point of view, does that impact how you look at Swindon, the team that you? known and been around and it's been it's your town you know Swindon is your town um it's the you dreamed of scoring in front of the town end and what happened between Decanio and your dad very publicly was again another moment which was Paul was kind of like a victim of our success at that stage as well because if that would have happened during a relegation season you know I, I imagine fans would have practically walked out on the club and things like that at that stage but it was kind of like, oh, that's a shame. But man, we just beat Stoke away. You know, it's it's yeah. It, it was it was very again, like I said, it was very icky. Um, yeah, um, it was it, it was an odd one because when Decanio first come, obviously my dad had just been the the caretaker, and obviously the fans the fans loved him, and I think the players at that time loved him as well. And and then when we did when Decanio did come in, I remember him. He sort of got everyone, all the all the players in, and. Uh, all all the staff and uh, he said he introduced everyone and he said my dad was going to be part of sort mm. of the first team as well and remember, yeah. um, and be a bit closer to the first team and it was it was an odd one it, it sort of after sort of a month or two it, he sort of I remember seeing him walk walk past him at lunch and they he wouldn't even talk to him sometimes mm. and it was just yeah it was a bit odd yeah so the fact that when I think towards the end of that season when my dad said a few things uh, maybe that had an impact on it but at the end of the day it was me who was going to be playing it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> my dad playing so um yeah it was just it was it was an odd one because he went from sort of saying he was going to be part of the first team and sort of part of the staff yeah. and then to sort of in the end I don't think he wanted sort of even the rest of his sort of Italian staff to even be in contact with the youth team or the youth team staff and it, it just it, it just felt a bit like you said a bit icky and it was a bit yeah it just it wasn't it started to sort of uh yeah just go downhill really um mm. and then when youth team players did get called up for the first team he sort of um he was a bit more harsh with them i remember once he sort of called connor thompson the keeper up to train and I think he'd done something wrong in the in the session or made a mistake, and he was only I think sixteen at the time, and he's actually one of my good friends now. And he got him in front of all the lads and like sort of absolutely ridiculed him mm. in front of all the all the first team. And yeah. yeah, it was it was almost anything to do with the youth team. He sort of he didn't want anything to do with it in the end, Decanio. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a shame to be honest because we had some good young players coming through and. Yeah, it was just it was just an odd an odd situation, really. That is uh, mad. League One. But Torquay, you went. Uh, uh, 
it was close to their highest fee paid if the undisclosed fee were around 70,000 which is only about 5 grand short of what was their what is their highest ever transfer fee you even talk about quite early on because you struggled to score at Torquay and you talk about the the uh, the pressure of um, of living up to the price tag yeah i don't i i remember people i read in that and mm. i i never remember saying that it was <laughs> an odd one because i've had i've had it asked a few times yeah. and yeah, I'm not sure. I think someone asked, is is the pressure sort of getting to you? And I sort of, I think I sort of laughed and said, well, no, not really. Yeah. But I can see why, sort of. That's, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much the BBC's take on it. I think they use that, that headline, yeah. like, Billy's feeling it. But if you read a bit closer, you're like, well, you know, it just comes with the, comes with yeah. the, the business. And it is obviously 70 grand. It's obviously not. so i think because i almost remember chuckling when someone asked me and but yeah i remember reading it after thinking that's not what i said but no no, yeah it was it was that was a weird season obviously obviously going from the 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 loan spell i had with talkie and we had the exact same sort of team i think union left early on in the season which was it was a massive blow but we still had the sort of the main core of the team and then yeah, I, I obviously didn't quite score as many as as I did in the season before, and um, and then the main thing, obviously Martin Ling um, leaving. Yeah. And I think as soon as he sort of left, it it sort of went downhill dramatically, and and then we ended up almost fighting for survival. Um, I think you scored a goal that in the game that pretty much secures their their safety. I think. Um, yeah, what game was that? I can't remember. It was a comfortable win. Um, I think it was against someone like Barnet. I want to say. Um, was it Accrington? Oh, it might have been Accrington. I'll, I'll take yeah, your word for it. Yeah, I think it might have been. Um, but yeah, so it was odd. It, it, we got to the playoffs the year before. Well, they did. Obviously, I wasn't there at that time. And and then all of a sudden, to be sort of struggling big time in the league, and then lose the manager and. I think Martin Ling had brought in majority of them players, so um, yeah, it was it was a tough tough spell, and yeah, I've obviously looking back, it's a bit of a shame that it, it turned out like that. But like I said, in football, you you, you sort of never know what's going to happen, and mm-hmm. I think yeah, the turning point was obviously Martin Ling leaving, and um, and yeah, that was it really. We sort of went downhill from there. You do score against Accrington. Um, it is in April. You score in a 3-2 win against Barnet. Oh, Barnet, yeah. yes, I do remember. And Jake Hyde, ex-Swindon, got the other two. Jake Hyde also scored for Woking against Swindon yeah. this season. Um, that Torquay nearer to the end, um, something happens that really hasn't happened yet in your, in your senior, and that's serious injury, and it comes at the worst time for you because it comes nearer to the end of your contract. And... I mean, for whatever reason, it results in you getting released. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're essentially unemployed for six months. I have been unemployed for a few months in my life, and it's by far the worst time of my life, without a doubt. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was It was sort of a mad sort of... Um, it was probably a mad year, to be honest, because we'd sort of struggled that season at Torquay and... Um, I think I scored on the Saturday against Portsmouth, who were obviously their massive club, and mm. we won one nil. And then um, I sort of started playing. My performances were getting a bit better. And then the Tuesday after that, I yeah, I got in. I just stretched for a ball and got 
sort of two footed into my knee and um and then before you know it the end of the season had come and I think in my head I always I sort of thought I, I sort of wanted to to get out of Torquay I hadn't had a good sort of two years there um probably not as done as well as I, I wanted to and and then yeah the club sort of said you can you can sort of stay and do your rehab but we sort of we won't give you any money or a contract so I sort of said well I'm <laughs> I can't really travel to Torquay every day, um, so I'll, I'll just have to. I'll just leave and, and and try and do my rehab somewhere and and just try and get fit again. So yeah, it was for probably. I went to. There was a physio who used to be the youth team physio at Swindon. His name's Dave Walker, and he actually he he sort of said to my dad, if if, if Bill ever wants some rehab, there's a couple of lads with the same injury at Bristol City youth team who I'm in charge of if, if he wants to join in and uh, and I'll take him for his rehab so if it wasn't for him I, I'm not sure what I would have done to be honest but um, yeah he helped me out massively and obviously for, for six months I was sort of unemployed I was travelling to, to Bristol every day to, to sort of do well three times a week twice a week to, to do my rehab and yeah if it wasn't for, for him it, I would have probably I'm not quite sure what I would have been doing right now but yeah it was it was a tough tough that spell in my in my career and then I think November time my old talkie manager who was then the assistant at Northampton called me up and, and sort of said do you want to once you're back fit do you want to come down and, and, and sign for Northampton so I went down in in December I think and finished off my rehab they had a, a rehab coach there from Spain who was actually very good actually and his name was Pablo and he I think he'd come from Deportivo, so he was he was quite good at, at what he'd done, and he got me back fit. And come January, I signed till the end of the season. So it was it was nice to obviously to to get a contract somewhere. But yeah, that them six months or seven months, uh, yeah, it was it was horrible to be honest. I, I I had all sorts going through my head. I thought I might have to just try find a job until I am fit yeah I just didn't know didn't really know what to do I went to St George's for rehab a couple of times PFA helped me out so yeah at that time sort of my my sort of career was in limbo and yeah probably if it wasn't for for sort of that uh physio Dave Walker or, or Alan Neil sort of getting me in at Northampton I, I probably would have been struggling to be honest yeah it's, it's it's definitely one of those moves where if you look on your Wikipedia page it's just Billy Bowden played a couple of games at Northampton for half a season but they really do get you back you know into professional football um you do leave at the end of the season but you get yourself a trial at bristol rovers were there anyone else in, interested at that time um no so i i sort of i think i played four games and there was a reserve game for northampton and they said you're going to be playing sort of saturday just get some minutes under your belt and i mm. remember I, within about two minutes i think i think i scored and then about a minute after i scored someone's just ran into me and into my knee and I just I had a bit of swelling in my knee and I had like a a lump in the back of my in my hamstring mm. somehow uh and I just couldn't get rid of it so all for the rest of the season sort of Northampton obviously I could see why they didn't really want to sign me I was just come back from a long injury and I, I was sort of picked up another niggle so they said sort of get that sorted and you can come back on trial and prove your fitness in the summer which it was disappointing because I'd sort of proved my fitness mm. and it was it was just a slight little knock, really. So, yeah, I sort of said, well, 
I'll obviously I'll get back to you and let you know. And I, in the end, I just sort of thought they don't really want me if they they've seen what I can do. And obviously, it's it's not what they're after. And I remember just I, I think I was going on holiday with my mum and dad to, um, to Portugal. And as I was getting to the airport, I got a a text off Ellis Harrison, who who was at Bristol Rovers at the time, who was one of my mates, and he sort of said, our, our manager's looking for a winger slash striker. Um, shall I give him your number? So I said, yeah, like go ahead. And I think Lee Mansell then texted me about five minutes later the same thing. And yeah, Daryl Clark rung me sort of while I was in the airport and said he, he wants to, to sort of have a look at me. And he knew, obviously, I'd, I'd had a bad injury the season before. And if I wanted to come, come in on trial and I bit his hand off to be honest it was it was something that I was I was looking forward to I didn't really have much else that I could have chose to go to I think I could, I think Chesterfield maybe on trial as well and obviously that was a bit further up north and Bristol was still um I could travel that every day yeah. and then my dad I think had just got the um he was the assistant with Rob Page at Port Vale um and Sort of that was sort of my last sort of chance if nothing worked out, but it was sort of something that I didn't really want to do because, like we said earlier, yeah. people would just be saying, "Oh, he's he's brought his son in," and I sort of wanted to to do it on my own without any help really. And um, even though sort of Rob Page had worked with me for for Wales, and obviously my dad knew what what I could do, I just thought I'm going to try this with Bristol Rovers and and try and prove to them that. I can I can play in that league and and do well. So yeah, it was obviously the trial went went pretty well, and I scored I think a fair few goals in pre-season. And and after a couple of weeks, they they sort of offered me a I think it was a three month contract <laughs> to start. Absolutely remarkable, really, isn't it? Given how it went for you. I'm I I live in Bristol. Uh, I watch quite a bit of both of the Bristol teams because yeah. I finish work. I can walk. You know, it's it does yeah. my step count no harm at all walking yeah. up to uh, <laughs> walking up that bloody uh, Stokes Gloucester Road up to uh, yeah. up to the Memorial. I saw one of your trial games. It was against Arsenal under twenty ones. Yeah, um, we've got to talk about the Zlatan look. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what mm. was going on. Oh, actually, I'll be honest. I watched the um, the TV show Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. And for some reason, um, <laughs> Jacks Teller. I I just wanted the same hairstyle as his, so I yeah. thought. So, so I thought I'd grow my hair and look like Jacks Teller, but. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't quite work out like that. I don't think. No, <laughs> top knot and a little and a little beard, wasn't it? A little yeah, moustache yeah, or goatee it was, thing. It was very questionable, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think you get rid of it in time for the team photo. Um, but yeah. Daryl Clark really—I I see in many ways that I wouldn't be surprised if one day Daryl Clark managed a team like Swindon. Um, but he—he he decided to throw that gauntlet down, challenge you to impress, um, gives you that short three-month contract. Does that put more pressure on you, um, or were you free to just play um, and express yourself like on the pitch as normal? It was obviously not frustrating because obviously I I I had to sort of prove myself, but at the same time I could see why he'd mm. obviously given me that contract. But I in my head I knew that I was sort of good enough. I had a good preseason, and I knew I was good enough to to sort of get in the team and and to earn another contract. So. Even though it was a short-term contract, he, he always said to me, "If you if you carry on doing well, we'll like we'll we'll, we'll give you a new contract before you know it." And um, I think it was probably about a month into that contract, he 
he come up to me and said, right, we've got we've got another contract for you till till I don't know if it was January. Mm-hmm. So it was another is, sort of yeah, and then the, the same sort of happened again. I started scoring a few goals, and before I know it, he he sort of said, right, is a a better contract till the end of the season. So mm-hmm. to be fair, he he stuck by his word, and he always said, if if you do well, we'll we'll give you another contract, and each time and he did that. Yeah, and you have three great seasons, genuinely great seasons, injury-free yeah. more or less, scoring yeah. over 10 goals a season, um, promotion from League Two in that first season, and then consolidation in the second. And we have to talk about it, don't we? A goal that you scored yeah. um, against Swindon. Um, <laughs> it was a good goal. I was I was there. I've got one thing that I need to say. I don't think we were giving you any stick or, or much stick. I don't remember anyone booing you. Maybe it was the, the 10 metre radius around me weren't doing anything. But when you when you walked towards what felt like me telling me to shush. I, 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 well, there is, a, there is a story and a reason. So I remember the night before, I've, a few of my friends come around and I think we were, I think there might be a game on the TV. And I said I wasn't. I always said I, I would never celebrate, yeah. and um, I think it was about two minutes before my goal. You I had think the chance, I, I, I had a chance, mm. and Lawrence Vigaru sort of stuck a foot out and saved it. And I was only—I was probably about five yards out. Yeah. And as I sort of went into the net, I remember hearing about four or five lads singing "Swindon Rejects," <laughs> and I sort of looked at them, and they were sort of giving me a couple uh, yeah. hand gestures. And then I don't know why I I looked at them and I just thought if I score I'm gonna I'm gonna have to celebrate now just because of these lads, and that was and that was honestly the only reason why I celebrated. <laughs> well, that's much more honest than your post match um, yeah. <laughs> on that time because I did watch that on YouTube in in prep for this. Um, that's understandable. I forgive you. I wasn't like doing the the old signs, but I remember just I was, remember you know I'm, when Swindon concede, I'm not like a shouty. I'm not a shouty person regardless, and I'm, I don't even really madly celebrate when Swindon scored. I'm probably one of the most boring football fans there is. But I just remember sat there. I stood on that terrace going. Oh, we weren't being that bad. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> to be fair, it was whoever it was behind the goal that day. Because I know there's a little section of away fans behind yeah, the yeah. the goal at the at the Mem. Yeah. So um, yeah. So whoever you five fans are who shouted that to me, it's, it's your fault. Broke my heart that day, Billy. Yeah, broke I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I got I got a lot of stick as well going home that that night as well. I went for a few drinks after and. Um, yeah, there weren't. There was a few people who weren't very happy with me. So um, yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it's tough, really, because the Bristol Rovers gave you to date the most successful part of your career. They are a mild rival of Swindon, so it it, it was heartbreaking every time. I felt conflicted, really, because I watched a lot of you at Bristol Rovers, and. I wanted you to do really, really well, but I also wanted you to play in a, for Swindon and do really, really well. And I felt the same way when I would go and watch Bristol City and see Aidan Flint. And Aidan Flint, obviously, his relationship with Swindon absolutely went to bits after they destroyed us in 2015 and he did the no, no, no speech. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I stopped going to Bristol City quite often because of that chant that they sing. Because every time I was in the ground, I was like, oh, it felt like they were singing at me. Um, and being a neutral in a ground where they're singing an anti-Swindon song 
in celebration of an ex-Swindon player. That wasn't yeah. fun. But, I mean, to get back on track, it was, it was a it was a career-saving spell for you and one where you, you were well-liked. Never seemed to be the superstar at Bristol Rovers. They always seemed, Matty Taylor was obviously there, Ellis Harrison, um, but you just seemed to just... When I watched you, you just seemed to go about your business, you got your goal every other game, and then eventually your stock really did begin to rise and then you joined Preston. Yeah, it was sort of, it was obviously massive for me. I think my first season I got, I think, 13 goals and to get promoted as well on the last day and and to get a goal that day as well, it was obviously massive for me. And yeah, obviously the, the manager obviously put his faith in me and it was it was massive for me to to be part of that but yeah obviously Matty Taylor was he was the main man he was scoring I think he got 20 odd goals three seasons running Mm. so um yeah he was obviously the main man and he was he was sort of getting all the headlines so it almost put a bit of pressure off off the other lads and especially off me um so yeah it was obviously nice just to go about your business and nobody really noticed until sort of towards the end of the season and and I got sort of t- I was on about 10 goals and and I was playing wide right as well so it was it was obviously a massive achievement and then um I think the promotion party sort of I think I might have gone a bit too mad because I don't think I scored till November the following <laughs> season so um yeah I don't think I'll be doing that again yeah it was obviously a slow start the fol- the following season like I said I I think I picked up a little ankle injury and then I didn't score till November I think and then I was sort of in and out of the team and I think Boxing Day I got a hat-trick and then from then on I I just kept performing well and and scoring goals Mm. and then yeah and then when the end of the season come I was on I sort of looked back at it and I was on 13 goals again so um, yeah to to not score until November and, and then to to sort of and to be sort of out of the team in and out it was it was frustrating because I knew the season before how well I could do and when the end of the season come and I had sort of that many goals, it was it was obviously for me another good season. Yeah, it was just a shame that I, I never sort of started the season as well as I did the the, the next one because I think I got I think I got eleven before before January. So yeah, it was it was a great time being at Bristol Rovers. I, before I signed, I I knew about five or six of the lads who were there: Ellis Harrison and I think Lee Mansell. Obviously, I played at Torquay, Daniel Ledbetter and Jake Goslin. So yeah. there was there was lads who I, I still kept in contact with even before I even joined there. Yeah, it was it was sort of nice to to be there and 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 the fans to to sort of straight away to be supporting you and obviously driving in with with Stephen Mildenhall every day. Um, <laughs> that was a bit of a struggle. He used to chew my ears off every day, but yeah, obviously he's a Swindon lad and yeah, now he's back at Swindon and yeah, he's a great guy. So driving in with him every day kept me busy and yeah it was just a great club to be at at the time we were obviously doing well they had got promoted the, the season before I joined from the conference yeah. and yeah it was obviously like you said it's a, a massive part of my career and it would be one that I'll, I'll always remember. Before we move on Bristol Rovers because I imagine people are turning off Swindon Town podcast talking about Bristol Rovers but I have yeah. to ask what was the Bristol Rovers WhatsApp group like when Matty Taylor left? It was very shocked <laughs> it was to be honest we knew it, there was a little rumor going around that they were interested, but we never really thought he was sort of going to go there, and because we thought he was going to be gone in the summer before, to be honest. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I think when he went, we didn't. I don't think the lads really knew how much of a big deal it was. And then all of a sudden, he, I think he was getting death threat. People were putting his address on Twitter and all sorts. So, um, welcome to Bristol. Sort of, 
yeah, once we sort of found out that, we sort of realised how much of a, a big deal it was. And yeah, it was quite worrying at the, at the start. He was sort of getting death threats and all sorts. So um, yeah, I don't think he's he's a step foot in Bristol again after after that, to be honest. Would you ever join Oxford? No. Good man. You have been quoted <laughs> now, so so there we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, hey, congratulations on, on a hell of a... A great move for you a, a massive massive club and for people like me who love the history of of, of football uh, Preston are one of the early or if not the first of the major names in in the history of English football um, yeah. a, a good stadium a, a big fan base it's a different level to what you've been used to all the clubs that you've been at um, permanently you know they, they they can get the crowd if if the if the elements are right but Preston are a well-supported side how are you finding um the move the transition into the championship yeah it was it was obviously um a massive move for me I think less than three years before I didn't even have a club yeah. and then to, to sort of be in the the championship and um it was a big step for me but it was it was something that any sort of footballer who plays in sort of League Two and League One wants to do, and you want to play as high as you can. Yeah, it was it was massive for me, and I sort of got chucked straight into the team right away. And it was it was it was a lot different to what I'd been used to. I think the manager is a bit more regimental and a lot more tactical um, work goes into sort of Championship football. I think, and you spend a lot of time in meetings, watching sort of other teams, and so it was, it was a lot different to start. Sort of, I went from Bristol Rovers where it was it was quite relaxed and the manager sort of got the best out of the lads and 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 sort of knew the lads inside and out. And to go to a team where it was sort of it was a lot of tactical work done and the sort of the manager wanted you to do exactly what he wants you sort of to do instead of I've gone from sort of a manager who sort of lets you express yourself and sort of not do what you want but sort of not as much tactical work it was it was sort of tough to get used to because it, it was the game was a lot quicker but yeah I sort of slowly got used to it and it was it was it was obviously tough it was a lot more running for me and and the manager to be fair he, he gets his tactics spot on every game and um yeah he's a very good manager like I said he, he does a lot of work sort of watching games he's all, he's constantly sort of watching other teams and before the Saturday even comes he he seems to somehow know exactly how the other team are going to shape up and he seems to he, he knows his stuff and obviously he knows this league he's being promoted to the Premier League from it yeah he, he's, he's a good manager to, to work for and Obviously, picking up the injury was was a bit of a bummer for me, but yeah, I just can't wait to sort of get back and and get back playing. Really. So the injury, yeah, it's a serious injury you've had. You've been out all season, and there's still a little bit left for you. But recuperation going well? Yeah, it's it's, it's been going well. To be fair, I've, it was a shame it happened so so close to the season. I think it was three days before the season started. Yeah. So yeah, it was the timing couldn't have been worse. To be honest, yeah, I've probably I've got probably about two two more months left of of my rehab and and hopefully possibly be back just just for the end of the season or if not just training before the end of the season so I've, I've started sort of running and um up in the rehab a little bit now yeah I can I can sort of sign, finally see the the light at the end of the tunnel and yes yeah, it's, it's, I just can't wait to to sort of be back playing and training every day and hopefully a return to the Welsh squad yeah hopefully I missed out with a little niggle in in May which was a bit of a shame I think that it was actually it was against Mexico again so <laughs> 
maybe it's just a sign Doomed. they don't want me to play against Mexico. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was obviously a shame, and I would have missed obviously a couple of trips in the season if I had been selected. Yeah, hopefully, I, as long as I can get back playing for my club, and if I start doing well again, then hopefully I can get a call up. As obviously a lot of players who, a lot of young players who are, who are doing well, the likes of David Brooks and, and Harry Wilson, Ethan Ampadu, so. They've got a, a hell of a squad, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just got to work on, on getting back fit for my club first. And hopefully if I can sort of do well for, for Preston, then, yeah, hopefully I can get another call up. Well, let's not downplay this. I mean, you were in Ryan Giggs's first squad, uh, China Cup, sorry, which, you know, yeah. some people will say, well, you know, they've, they had a few people unavailable. But that's irrelevant because you still got there. You have done something that not many people can say and and that is you've represented your country at senior level you did it at a great stage you got to travel to china which is much better than moldova and um some of those other countries yeah. that you that you visited yeah. um you're playing alongside one of the greatest players of this generation if and maybe arguably john charles ryan giggs ian rush they all yeah can say that they may have a claim or they do have a claim to be the number one player in Welsh history. You played yeah. alongside him in the final against Uruguay. Oh, by the way, Uruguay are playing, you know, Christian Rodriguez, Diego Godin, Edison Cavani and Luis Suarez in that squad. Yeah, it was, um, I was, it was very nerve wracking mm. to be fair, because I'd always, I'd been in the sort of 21s from sort of an early age. So I got to know everyone and by the time I was 21, I'd sort of I'd played about 20 odd games for the for the under 21s, so I was sort of the older one and the most experienced. Yeah. So yeah, to obviously to, to to go away with players like that and well, they're the so, hero. They're the heroes of 2016, aren't they? I mean, exactly. Yeah, at, you would have watched that at home, going Guan, you know, you know, supporting yeah. Wales, and now you're playing alongside them. I know. Yeah, it was it was um, crazy. Obviously, there was a few who, who I had played with at the under 21 level, but yeah, to to sort of to get picked and to be able to sort of play with the likes of Gareth Bale and sort of Ashley Williams and well, all of them. To be fair, they were all. It used to sort of be League One players and League Two players ten years ago, and now it's it's mainly Premier Premiership players. So yeah, it was it was a massive a massive achievement for me, and like you said, to not just to play with players like that, but then to to play against sort of Suarez, Cavani, yeah, Godin. It was it was crazy to be on the same pitch as them, and yeah, it was it's obviously something that I want to carry on doing, and hopefully I can I can get back fit and. and and try and get back into that squad. And finally, you, you've, you know, your, your, your departure from Swindon wasn't wasn't the greatest. Um, you've excelled at one of our rivals. Um, what does Swindon Town mean to you today? And later down the line, depending on how the career goes, would you, would you would you ever return? Um, yeah, definitely. It's it's obviously a, a club that. Is, is it means a lot to me and and my family and I always try and get home a, a, as much as I can to Swindon. I still call it home now, to be fair. Even when mm. I sort of I'm driving home, I'll say I'm I'm coming home to to Swindon, not <laughs> to Preston. Um, even though that's where my health is, but yeah, I I definitely I I hundred percent come back and play. It's something that I've always thought about, to be honest. But it's just obviously a shame that they're they're not. In a in a higher league than they are, sure. I think the clubs obviously it, for me it's it's a big club and it can it can definitely reach 
definitely a higher level. I think it's obviously, in my eyes, it's always sort of been a championship club, which have always been not as successful as they should be. And obviously, when my dad was there, they had a great, great fair few years. And but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a club that I'd, I'd definitely rejoin in, in the future. Music to my ears, Billy. Thank you very much. No worries. Below Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Yeah, I mean, but you did get to play alongside Tom Cruise. Yeah, he was obviously, um, well, not the actor, obviously, but <laughs> he was actually um, a very good player. Um, he came from Arsenal, but... Yeah, he was a weird one. I think he was—he could have gone to championship clubs, and I think because um, Martin Ling was sort of a good manager, I think it attracted a lot of players. Obviously, mm-hmm. it didn't quite attract Tom Cruise, the actor. But um... <laughs> firstly, I want to ask: How do you choose your squad numbers? Uh, what for club well, or for anything? Because you tend to have. A, an array of very high <laughs> numbers. I know. Well, usually if you go on loan, you sort of just get stuck with <laughs> any old number. Um, and I think when I went to crew, they sort of just chucked, chucked me number 34, which I didn't really want, to be honest. Um, mm. And then I always wanted to keep number 31, yeah. um, which was my, my first Swindon squad number. Um, and it, for some reason every club I've gone to um, and I've asked for it it's always been taken no. so yeah <laughs> I, I think they always seem to give it to the third choice goalkeeper so I was um, even when I first went to Bristol Rovers I asked for it and they said oh it's taken um, but yeah you, you, you get to choose but if you're sort of uh, new at the club it's, it's hard to sort of try and pick numbers because most of them are either taken or so when I first signed at Preston, it was number 39 was, I think, three's, three's my dad's birthday and nine's my mum's. So I just picked oh. the nine. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've just kept it for this season, to be honest, even though nobody would have seen it this season. <laughs> uh, I think I might have to change it up for next season, I think. Is that why you had number 13 for the international team? So it's 31 the other way around? Uh, well, no, it wasn't. Actually, <laughs> but it was funny because it's... Yeah, sorry, I've said that wrong. My dad's birthday's the 13th, yeah. but his favourite number was obviously three, so um, yeah. that's why I picked 39. But um, no, it was weird. It was because I, when, I, when I got it and seen it, obviously my dad went, oh, what, well, you picked that for me, did you? But <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't really the case, to be honest. I just, got, I just got given that one. But I think once you've sort of, if you've, um, if you've been in the squad a fair few times, you sort of get to pick sure. what sort of squad squad number you, you get but um yeah i wasn't really in that role to, to to start asking and demanding what number i wanted yeah i've always i think that i've always been number nine when i was growing up and in the youth team yeah. um and de Canio's first year i remember he actually brought um the team sheet in and said right write everyone's name down what what number they want and nobody wanted all the older lads sort of pick numbers and number nine was there so I chose it and uh, I think it was about 
three days after it, Tacano pulled me in his office and said, um, you're not allowed number nine. Um, we're bringing in a new striker. So that I was absolutely gutted with that. Um, so that's why I kept number 31 again, because it was obviously my first squad number. But yeah, if I, if I had to choose, I think nine was, nine's the one I want. But for some reason, I've n- never had the chance to have it. <laughs> Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.